Another Sunday and another time to start talking wrestling as a new week begins. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the No Spots Weekly Wrestling Podcast. This is episode 219. We are glad you are here with us, whether you are joining us live on our Twitch stream at twitch.tv slash Pod, or if you are listening to us on either Spotify or Amazon Music, a warm welcome to all of you. I am DC's People's Champ. I am here with you as always and joined as always by my tag team partner to my left, your right, if you are watching our live stream. He is coming to us from the regular basement, none other than the Dark Sith Lord himself. Sith, Yeloshka Gashimasa. Yes, welcome everyone to the regular basement. Thanks for all followers, chatters, lurkers, subscribers, people listening on our audio platforms, people finding us for the first time. A warm welcome to you all. I got to say this off the bat. On a very positive note here. Thanks to everyone for their well wishes over the last week over the passing of Whitney. It really meant a lot, and I appreciate you all. Champ, what's good in the People's Studios in the ABA? Good, sir. Well, aside from making a mess, everything is good here. Um, just another we- lazy, not really lazy week. It actually did some overtime for my job uh, oh. because they we had a... This new project, this new engagement that they 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 that the company won, and they needed to bring on some new people. So I stayed on on uh, I got on on the weekend along with a colleague to help out with uh, with that process. So yeah, did a little overtime this weekend. Other than that, all good. As I'm trying to clean up after myself after I opened up this nice little this nice beverage here. What are you Ever drinking, sir? Ever heard of Pop and Bottles Vanilla Cold Brew? It's an oat milk latte. No. It's actually really good. It's actually really, really good. I actually tried these for the first time on accident. So what happened oh. was is that <laughs> I did my normal Instacart delivery of groceries, mm-hmm. and somehow a can of that ended up in my bag, and I never ordered it because I didn't know what the, hell, what the hell it was. Yeah. And so I said, okay, why do I have this? So... Couldn't do nothing about it. End up uh, trying it, and I was like, "This is actually really, really good. This is actually pretty cool. good. I like this." So now, every now and again, I'll you know I'll grab a couple cans. I already had one earlier today. Figured I have mm-hmm. the other one right now while we in, while we do this podcast. Uh, by the way, again, as we are recording this, the Commanders have just taken a thirty-five yes. to twenty-four lead over the Denver Broncos on Brian Robinson's second touchdown, rushing touchdown of the day. Uh, we'll talk. I'll tell you about that and the Commanders later on after our final thoughts. 
thoughts. Anyway, here's what we have on tap for the show here today. We have on tap on news and notes. Two NXT stars have gotten engaged over the weekend to each other. We'll tell you about that. We'll also tell you about a current Triple H champion whose contract has been extended throughout the remainder of the year. We'll also talk about a recently departed AEW superstar who has finally broken their silence on the matter. We'll also talk about a former WWE Divas champion who had a life-changing event happen this weekend. We will also talk about the uh, we'll also talk about former NXT UK tag champions who have officially left the company, and that has actually been confirmed by a Hall of Famer on their podcast. So we'll get into that news and notes in our New Japan recap. Will Osprey's absolute awesome summer continues as he beat a Japanese legend. At their 25th anniversary show this past weekend in Corkwin Hall, we'll tell you about that. We'll also tell you about whose rule set was was voted on by the fans for the upcoming KOPW 2023 Provisional Championship match taking place in uh, Kobe in a couple of weeks. We'll tell you about that as well. And plus, the continuation of the Road to Destruction tour happened today with... We'll let you. I'll give you the results on that, including did one team get on the board in the best of seven between Strong Style and Team Blue Justice? We'll tell you about that. Plus, who won in the main event between Just Five Guys and House of Torture? Did Just Five Guys finally get a measure of revenge, or is House of Torture continuing its momentum towards their championship matches uh, at the big events in Kobe and Rio Goku? In our third segment, we are taking it back 23 years, uh, 20 oh, years into the past. The year 2000, the big five pay-per-views of 2000. We're talking about the Royal Rumble. We're talking about WrestleMania 2000. We're talking about King of the Ring. We're talking about SummerSlam and Survivor Series. And you're going to be very shocked at what I have to say about one of those pay-per-views when we get into it. Just stay tuned. And then, of course, Uh-oh. I am going to be your conductor and driving the bus for the weekend review from, from Raw all the way to collision and everything in between so we got that and then of course our final thoughts so without any further ado referee you know what to do ring the bell all right first and foremost want to say hello to our good friend sage who was in the building uh sage asked me a very poignant very asked me a question earlier uh, yesterday actually uh, about Wrestle Dream, which is coming up on October 1st, and whether oh. we're going to live react to that. I told him, maybe. maybe. And if we do do it, we will have a third, and it will be Sage. So I'm just putting it out there right now. Mm-hmm. We do decide to live stream react to Wrestle Dreams on October the 1st. It will be myself, it will be Sith, and it will be Sage. So just stay tuned mm-hmm. for any mm-hmm. announcements on I know that. we have a live reaction that night, with the night before, that we have NXT No Mercy the night before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As my big homie takes a sip of that beautiful beverage. Yeah, but no, that's that's why I was saying probably because I know yeah. we got no mercy the night before, but we've we've done back to back nights of live reacts. It's oh, not a big yeah. thing, so we'll see. But it's yeah. more than likely going to be a yes. I just want to just see where we are, where 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 things are at before I commit to it. So it's a probably. But we'll yep. see. Anyway, now it's time for news and notes. And we begin with what we talked about as, as two NXT uh, superstars got engaged to each other over the weekend. None other than Javier Bernal, Big Body Javi, and Tatum Paxley. Uh, both individuals took to their respective social medias to announce the, announce the engagement with Bernal writing on Twitter. 
now known as X, there's no death, no end of time when I'm facing it with you, end quote. It was showing off a series of pictures, including com- com- making a little comedy one of him, of him proposing to himself. So you know he had to go in character with one of those pictures. Anyway, um, Paxley would share a, 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 a would share a photo of the engagement ring as well as them kissing with a with a caption that say quote that's Mrs. Big Body to you. So congratulations to the two. As you know, they are currently on NXT. Bernal has been mostly been seen on Level Up. Same with Paxley. Paxley actually just had a match on Level Up two nights ago on the 15th, where she teamed with Danny Palmer to take on Metaphors, Jakara Jackson, and Lash Legend, where Paxley actually abandoned Palmer, leaving her to be defeated by the duo from Metaphor. Uh, she has been seen on NXT TV. Since November, when she was teaming with my, with Ivy now the Diamond Mine to beat, defeat that same duo before they became metaphor, uh, Javier Bernal has not wrestled since the September first edition of NXT Level Up, uh, where he. Uh, we don't have any information on the match he was in. He also hasn't been seen on NXT TV since he lost to Von Wagner in July. He actually was brought up to the main roster to be basically fodder for the Viking Raiders alongside Kevin Ventura Cortez back in Met, uh, back earlier this year. Uh, and he also won- last won a match in May during a level up taping. Sith, what do you have to say to the new happy couple, the newly engaged couple? Congratulations, to say the least, to the happy couple. Big hobby body, you one lucky man, man, I got to tell you. But, yeah, all good here to say the least. You know, wish them nothing but the best. And, you know, Tatum and Hobby, good couple. And I saw the engagement picks, and those are pretty cool. Champ? Yeah, I agree. I, I think it's really great, you know, to see that. I'm pretty sure we'll see quite a few more, though, especially out of NXT. There are quite a few NXT uh, couples and stuff like that. So won't like won't be. I don't see this as being the last, uh, but I think this is pretty cool to see. So congratulations to to Bernal and to Paxley and things of that nature. All right, next up, news continues with a current star, girl AEW star, and backstage uh, help uh, and backstage uh, employee who had been not who had been working without a contract for most of the year, but has been reportedly signed with the company through the remainder of the year, and that is none other than Triple A. Then the then Triple A champion, Triple uh, A Latin American champion, QT Marshall. Um, Marshall, who currently works as the VP of Show and Creative Coordination, uh, has recently, according to Fightful Select, uh, signed an extension that will keep him with the company at least through the remainder of 2023. Uh, the report also describes said contract as an ex- as a short term one, meaning that they will most likely come together on the uh, sometime in 2024 to discuss a new talent deal. Anyway, according to Feifel, he had been working without a talent contract uh, after taking a brief vacation recently, and that he was re- renegotiating and ex- he was negotiating the, his extension with Tony Khan uh, and the company uh, after his return from his vacation and things like that. Um, he also works as a backstage producer as well. Uh, it was rumored that the last bit of work he did as a backstage producer was 
for Jay Cargill's reported last match at AEW for the TBS Championship that took place on Rampage this past Friday night, which we will talk about in our weekend review. So... There you go. Uh, QT Marshall is still stay, sticking with AEW, at least as an on-air talent through 2023. He already had his backstage uh, stuff that he had going on as v, as a VP and as well as a backstage producer. So he has that going on. And he's been doing a lot of work with Triple A, as you know, but last, uh, at last month's Triple Mania uh Triple Mania 31 in Mexico City. He won the Latin American Championship uh, and has been defending it on Rampage, Ring of Honor, and has even gone over to the United Kingdom and defended it at Progress. Uh, Sith, your thoughts? Uh, not a fan of QTV. Y'all know this. But, congrats, but I'm glad that QT Marshall is staying, though. He's... A lot of people don't know this about him. In the early days of the pandemic... He was running the Nightmare Factory and helping to train some of these wrestlers that you see today on your screen. So, yeah, he's definitely a keep, to say the least. So, God willing to work out a new deal for the guy, because despite the fact that the guy's an asshole in character, he's a good hand to have. Champ. Yeah, I mean, I agree. And, you know, he does a lot. He's very selfless with what he does. He's been in the business for a long time. You know, the nightmare he used, uh, he had his nightmare factory used as a, uh, you know, as a place where they could do shows uh, behind closed doors during the pandemic when they had nowhere else to go before they decided on uh, Daly's place in Jacksonville. So that was really, you know, that really shows how selfless uh, Marshall is. And uh, things like that. So great, great for for QT. Great for QT. And uh, good luck. Good luck moving forward. All right. Next up, uh, someone has finally made some comments regarding their departure from all the league wrestling, and it happened during an MMA show that they were part of the commentary team for, and that is none other than the recently fired Phil Brooks, aka CM Punk. It had been two weeks since his firing from the company with cause after a backstage incident between himself and Junk and Jack Perry that involved AEW CEO and head booker Tony Khan. Well, you know, uh, despite initial reports that there was going to be an explosive response to said firing, uh, that he had been quiet on that front until he did colored commentary for Caged Fight uh, Cage Fury Fighting Championships last this past Friday, where he and par- broadcast partner John Morgan made their very a lot of very clear, clear references to this incident that took place in London at All In back a couple of weeks ago. It started with Morgan introducing Punk saying, quote, look who I ran into backstage and then adding that Punk was back on commentary with cause. Okay, so there you go. (laughs) Then later on, then later on in the show uh, on Punk had made the suggestion that the commentary team do a post fight show at which uh, at which time he was asked by another broadcaster if he had time on his hands for that. And Punk said, quote, yeah. I've got time on my hands for the next two months, end quote. So that could possibly be a mention that he may be under a non-compete for the next 60 days. Uh, We don't know. And then uh, Morgan did uh, also mention that he and Punk had some things to discuss and that uh, a reply from Punk was, quote, what do you want to talk about? Taking a shot at Cody Rhodes and what his shtick. So it is unknown if uh, Punk's 
Termination came with a non-compete, which is why the comment of him being free for the next two months is very, very intriguing. But we don't know. But these are the first comments he made. And instead of it being an explosive, you know, scorched earth response, he actually made very clear but very vague references to the situation. Sid, what do you got to say about this? Very measured remarks. I mean, he could have gone scorched earth. And I'm thinking he will eventually go scorched earth. You see, Tony Khan's not fucking stupid. Hear me out, champ. You're not going to let somebody who is known to blow his blood off like CM Punk without an NDA for however long. That's just common sense. So I'm looking forward to seeing the explosiveness eventually. But I love those measured remarks there. Slight digs, kind of like a wink and a nod from the old Batman show. But yeah, champ. Yeah, um, no, no shock here that the first chance he got to get in front of a microphone, he would not directly say what about directly talk about it but just gleefully and just convert uh, convertly talk about it you know which that's that's i guess the waters that you have to swim in when you're in a situation such as this but clearly there's a, there might be a non-complete. There's also probably a confidentiality con, con, uh, clause where he can't actually yeah. talk about it in detail. Most likely, there's a legal issue behind it. Who knows? But the fact that he was able to be, you know, I and got to say hello to Hector first and foremost. Hello, Hector. Uh, the hey. last time he went sports turf, he lost a friend in the process in Colcabana. And he also, there was also a lawsuit that came out of it as well after mm-hmm. he went scorched turf, after he was released from WWE. So I think he learned his lesson from that situation. And, and instead of going out and going scorched turf and being like, run, fire, flames, and like, hate, hate, hate. He, he's smart about it because he knows he doesn't want a lawsuit on his hands because he knows, I'm pretty sure Tony Khan can afford a very good attorney. So I think he wants to avoid a court case at all costs. So anyway, anyway, we'll keep an eye on the situation with Sam Punk after the firing. It's been now over two weeks now, so we'll see what happens. Anyway, we're going to go to some more happy news as a former Divas champion is now a mother. Yes, we're talking about none other than Kelly Kelly. We said her name twice, and guess what? She's got twice the the children as she gave birth to twins uh, this past week. Uh, the, The woman whose real name is Barbie Blank announced the birth of her twins on social media this past Friday while saying that they were born last last Sunday. Uh, There was a picture that Blank shared on her social media of herself and her husband holding the hands of the twin boys and twin girl, hands of the twin boy and twin girl with a series of emojis. Uh, her husband, who is Joe Koba, a fitness and bodybuilding expert, uh, they announced on March that he that they were expected, and then she posted a video about it. But then shortly after, in April, they had announced that, uh-oh, we're having to. They said, plot twist, there's twins. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, as you know, Barbie Blank uh, became a part of the WWE at the age of 19, being a part of the, EC, the WWECW brand as part of the 
Extreme Expose. She would go on to become the on-air uh, valet and quote-unquote boyfriend of Mike Knox. Uh, but then she would go on to become a wrestler of her own. Winning the Divas Championship in 2000, June of 2011, and then had a four month reign with that championship before dropping it and then leaving the company in 2012. She has made return appearances on multiple occasions, appearing in the Women's Royal Rumble match both in, in 2018, 2020, and in last year's uh, uh, Rumble. She didn't appear in it this year, and clearly there was a reason for that. She was also part of a battle royal at the Evolution pay per view, which was WWE's first try at an all-women's pay-per-view, and then she also became the first woman to win the 24-7 championship back in 2000, June of 2019 during the Raw Reunion Special. Sith, any, um, any words for, the, for Kelly Kelly and her husband? Congratulations to Kelly Kelly and her husband on the birth of the twins. That is absolutely awesome. Even though I know a lot of people don't like these birthing announcements this is awesome though you know for them to have twins so bless them both bless their family best of luck and yeah this is awesome champ this is awesome uh great job for kelly kelly uh hopefully maybe you know with the birth of their their twins maybe kelly kelly does make an appearance in the 2024 women's royal rumble matchup so we'll see but congratulations to to barbie blank and her husband on the birth of their twins as if you're watching our last year see me and sif react uh the commanders just recovered an onside kick after a field goal from the broncos uh commanders still lead with less than a minute and a half to go in the game so they have a chance to one well they have less than two minutes to go it's 149 they have a chance to run out the clock and walk away two and oh right now but it's it's good it's we'll see what happens we'll see all right to close out our losing no segment, we got to talk about a tag team, former NXT UK tag champions who have officially left the company, and that departure has been since confirmed by a WWE Hall of Famer who was working pretty closely with them uh, up up until their release, up until their departure. That is none other than formerly like the, known the team known as the Diet, formerly known as the Grizzled Young Veterans, Jagger Reed and Rip Fowler. They have left the company. They had previously had announced, they had previously requested to be released back in April, but it was denied. They would go on social media to confirm that it was denied, but it looks like their contracts have run out. They are gone. There was also a vignette that was played on NXT uh, seemingly uh alluding to their departure with Ava Rain and Joe Gacy being alone and things of that nature. Well, not only did that kind of confirm their departure, but on the on Booker T's The Hall of Fame podcast, he confirmed that the two men have indeed left the company. He said, quote, a couple guys who just exited from the WWE as well, the Diet. Those guys just let their contract run out. They're going to be leaving the company. They may be showing up in AEW. You never know. They may be going back to the UK. Reed Fowler, those guys were actually two of my favorites, and I thought they had something good going for them. Just recall the the grizzled young veterans. I like these guys, and I hate to see them go. 
Uh, as you know, uh, the two uh, men, again, held the NXT UK Tag Team Championships for a time. And they, when they were part of the, UK, the NXT UK show or brand, they did end up coming over to NXT, but didn't see a lot of success before being repackaged. As the dyad were uh, James Drake and Zach Gibson, they were turned into Jagger Reed and Rip Fowler, then becoming a part of the of Schism stable and basically pittering out for the most part. And so here we are. Sith, you were a big follower of the NXT UK brand from basically almost its infancy all the way to its end or to its temporary pause, as so we say. So you got to see a lot of the grizzled young veterans. What about what does it what does this news kind of alarm you in no. terms like well not really alarming but what how do you feel about this news and where do you think their next landing point will be for this team? I would love for them to link. All right, I'm not shocked at this. They asked for their release, it was denied earlier this year. They said, Hey, we'd like to let go, we want our release because they understood that hey, this sucked. Okay. And so what we so what they did was they did the smart thing. They said, okay, we're gonna do this. We're just gonna work out our contract since our request was denied. And we're just gonna go from there. So thankfully they got it done. They're done with their contracts. So where do they go? I want them to go to one of two places. New Japan Pro Wrestling or Impact. Do not go to AEW at any cost right now. Tony Khan's got enough toys to play with right now where it comes to tag teams. I don't need my grizzled young veterans getting abused over there and being hung out to dry because these guys have a lot of talent and it shouldn't be just hanging out in the fucking locker room. So, yeah, I hope they go to Impact or New Japan. Champ? Yeah, I agree. I think that New Japan or Impact would be better suited for their talents and what they can bring to the table. Um, I don't think that AEW is a great place for them at the moment, given the fact that there are so many tag teams. You got Aussie Open, you have uh, FTR, who are the current tag champs, uh, Young Bucks, The Gun Club, uh, excuse me, Juice Robinson and um, Jay White whenever Jay is not doing single stuff. Dark Order, I mean, the list goes on and on. Butcher and the Blade, uh, fucking, um, who else? There's a bunch of teams they have already in there, and there's a lot of them they're not using. So the last thing they want to do is go there and end up being not being used and just not being able to do anything. So I think that they would be better suited in Impact or in, uh, in New Japan Pro Wrestling. And things like that. And yeah, they could go uh, to Rep Pro as well, Hector. Uh, I'm pretty sure they could get a lot of good uses of Rep Pro as well, being that they will be back in the UK and things like that. So good luck to them, though. I, I, re I wish them the best. Hopefully they are able to um, they're able to go and, and do better things. They did some good things in WWE, but just not enough on the uh, American side of things to really say that they had a successful run in the company as a whole. All right. So that's it for your news and notes for this week. Let's move on to the New Japan recap. And first of all, before we get into what happened in Fugoka on Sunday uh, as part of the Road to Destruction Tour after a series of non-televised live events for the tour. Uh, this was back on New Japan World uh, with no live English commentary. Uh, Will Ospreay's amazing summer continues uh, after... 
after winning, uh, after getting big wins over guys like Chris Jericho, Kenny Omega, and Kazuchika Okada throughout the this last couple last couple of months throughout the summer, another big win has been put under the belt for the IWGP US slash United Kingdom champion Will Ospreay is on the 17th this past Sunday. Uh, Pro Wrestling Noah held the sh- a show honoring the 25th anniversary of the career of Naomi Michi Marafuji, who is known as the ace of of Joe, no, uh, Pro Wrestling Noah. Easy for me to say. Uh, and they had a one-on-one matchup as uh, as a highlighted match at their Corkland show uh, this past Sunday. Uh, it was a hard-hitting matchup between the two that saw a lot of near falls and uh, even Osprey breaking out a, a move he hasn't used in a while, uh, which was, I believe, let me see where it was. He even used uh, he used a move that he hardly ever he's hardly ever used uh, in a while. Give ever since he became uh, a heavyweight. So it was it was a really hard fought matchup that would see him win the match with Osprey, defeating yet another big name in the pro wrestling world in and Malfuji to get this victory and to keep his momentum going before he has his matchup against um Yoda Suji for the IWGP US heavyweight championship in uh in Kobe on the twenty fourth, so next Sunday. But a, a really hard-fought matchup, and you def- I definitely need to find a way to watch that matchup because that matchup sounded like it was really, 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 really good. Uh, so we'll get, we'll, I'll see if I can find a way to watch that and come back and let you know how it looks. Next up, uh, speaking of Kobe and the Destruction Show, there uh, it will be uh, the KOPW 2023 Provisional Championship belt will be on the line. The champion uh, Taichi taking on Challenger Show, despite the fact the show is walking around with the belt as if he's the champion. He's not. But there was a three-day poll that was put up over the uh, last week to determine what rule set that this match would be contested under the options were a 10 second a 10 minute guaranteed decision match uh for show with a couple provisions in there as well for taichi it was seconds handcuffed match which means that everyone from the house of torture would be handcuffed to members of just five guys with uh just five guys well the poll closed and the results are in and by a large margin 62.7 percent of the 43,334 votes cast all wanted to see Tai Chi's rule set be uh, contested, so it will be a seconds handcuff match instead of the 10-minute guarantee decision match, which would have saw a 10-minute time limit with the uh, the use of the dangerous uh, the dangerous backdrop suplex and the uh, and the uh, man um, Black Mephisto be prohibited from being used and if. If Taichi couldn't get the victory in 10 minutes, show would be awarded the KOPW 2023 championship. But that was take was down. It only got 37.3% of the vote. So Taichi's rules win the poll. And as a result of that, when they contest, when they fight for the KOPW tr- uh, championship, um, Evil will be handcuffed to Sonata. Yujiro Takahashi will be handcuffed to no fucking way he caught that. There's no fucking way he caught that. 
Oh my God, sorry. They just threw up a Hail Mary and they always said, what do you do on a Hail Mary? You knock it down. Well, they knocked it up and someone and Broncos caught it. Caught it. That's bullshit. So, okay, so as I was saying, mm-hmm. Evil's going to be handcuffed to Sonata. Yujiro Takashi going to be handcuffed to Doki. And Dick Togo is going to be handcuffed to Taka Michinoku. And that probably would have been Yoshinobu Kanemaru, but Kanemaru is still out dealing with a knee injury that he suffered early on in the tour. So that's what's going to be happening coming up on the 24th. But a week prior to that, in Fugoka, we saw some action as... The Road to Destruction Tour returns to New Japan World, which saw Hiromu Takahashi in the opening match defeat Yudo Nakashima via submission in 9 minutes and 4 seconds with the Boston Crab. Uh, Tomaki Homa and Togi Makabe GBH defeated the Young Lion team of Oscar Loibe and Bolton Oleg with the King Kong knee drop, also in 9 minutes and 4 seconds. Toriyano Yo and Hiroshi Tanahashi were victorious. That's ball game. Let's go. That's ball game. Let's go. All right. Uh, Toriyano, Tor- Hiroshi Tanahashi, and Yo defeated Ryusuke Suguchi, Tiger Mask, and Satoshi Kojima. It will be a schoolboy after a low blow from uh, Toriyano that got them the victory. Uh, the t- Chaos team, uh, Bishimon, along with the Never Six Man Tag Champions, Ishii and Okada, were defeated by the G- TMDK team of. Mikey Nichols, Shane Hayes, Bad Dutito, and the TV champion, Zack Sabre Jr. It was the highway to hell by Hayes and Nichols onto Yoshihashi. So that's a big boost for the TMDK side before their tag team title matchup coming up uh, in Kobe. LIJ versus United Empire went the way of LIJ. Yoda Suji blast Callum Newman with the Gene Blaster to get this team the victory. Afterwards, Shingo Takagi would tease that he was defected from LIJ and would be joining the United Empire only to fake out, uh, fake out Okan, rip the shirt, and get out of Dodge and, and Lead, lead led to an aftermatch brawl with, in which Lij would chase away United Empire. It was a big ruse, and 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 Hanari was not Hanari. Okan was beside himself. But that's that's just the mind games going on. As days those two will face off each other in a special singles match towards the end of this tour. In our semifinal, it was the second match in the best of seven series between Team Blue Justice, Master Wato, Shota Umino, and Yuji Nagata, and Strong Style, El Desperado, Ren Narita, and Minoru Suzuki. After a draw on the first matchup that took place at Blue Justice 13 back in Chiba last week, this time we would see a decision made, but this will be a decision of Desperado pitting Watto with Pinche Loco to get the victory and put them on the board. One win to to no, to no losses and one draw. That puts the best of seven series in their favor right now, but we'll have to see what happens. We'll have to see what happens. Then our main event was just five guys versus House of Torture. And as I said, some like House someone got was able to get some momentum going, and that would be just five guys. The moonsault from Sonata after hitting the shining wizard would lead to a victory as he pinned Dick Togo in 15 minutes and five and fifty-five seconds. After the match, it would be a brawl between Sonata and Taichi and Evil and Show as a means to try to get their belts back. But Evil and Show would still escape with their championship belts and and they would leave the fan. They would have the fans of Fugoka leaving happy after uh, being able to defeat them, even though they were unable to reacquire their own championship belts. So <coughs> that's what happened for this week's uh, for this t- uh, Sunday show. And again, they don't have any uh, all the rest of the shows this week, I believe, until 
of Destruction and Kobe are going to be non-televised and live. Yeah, that's basically it. The next time uh, it w- we'll be talking about New Japan, we'll be on next week, we'll be talking about um, Destruction and Kobe from Kobe World Hall uh, with a big match, uh, a big match card with uh, Tiger Mask and Kevin Knight taking on the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Team Champions from Bullet Cup War Dogs, Driller Maloney and Clark Connors. Uh, It'll be just five guys versus House of Torture, Takamichi no Kudoki and Sonata against Dick Togo, Yujiro Takahashi, and Evil. It will be uh, the Gorillas of Destiny taking on Bullet Club, uh, Jado, El Fantasmo, Hikaleo, Tangalo, and, Tom- and Tamatanga taking on Gato. The strong openweight taxi champions, Gabe Kidd and Alice Coughlin, along with David Finley and Chase Owens. Chase is on the case. Um, yo, teams with Leo Rush, uh, it'd be interesting to see how this team dynamic goes after the way Leo Rush has been carrying himself in Impact. Uh, they will take on the team of Bushi and Hiromo. Bushi Romo reunites in this one as a preview of the three-way for the IWGP Junior Heavyweight title match that's taking place on this tour. Uh, Tomohiro Ishii and Kazuchika Okada taking on Batu Dutito and Zack Sabre Jr. Then our KOPW Provisional Championship match, uh, Taichi's rules of seconds handcuff match. Taichi t- ch- uh, defending against Show uh, in our semifinal. It was not semifinal. Sorry. Uh, in our uh, seventh match, the IWGP Heavyweight Tag Team Championships are on the line. Bishima defending against TMDK's Shane Haste and Mikey Nichols. They will have a series of two special singles matches uh, between LIJ United Empire Shigo Takagi against the Great Okan and then Tetsuya Naito against Jeff Cobb, which is the semifinal. Your main event will see Yoda Suji and only just his. Third main, I believe this is his third main event since returning from excursion. He will be challenging Will Ospreay for the IWGP US slash United Kingdom Heavyweight Championship. So that is what's coming up, and that's what we'll talk about on our next New Japan recap on next week's podcast. That was a crazy ending of that game, Sith. <laughs> I swear, this is going to make me start drinking again. <laughs> Dude, that was a, no, that was that was stressful. That was that was stressful. Airplane. I knew it the There's this part in the airplane from 1980 where uh, Leslie Nielsen goes. I knew I picked the wrong week to quit smoking, quit drinking, take amphetamines, and then the last one is sniffing glee. He takes he takes sniffing glee goes and he passes out. <laughs> Damn, but we'll take yeah, that. It. That was that was stressful. That was really stressful. All right. All right, guys. Like I said earlier on, we are you already know what's coming up here. We talked about it. We have announced it in advance. But this is no secret. We sat down and we watched the big five pay-per-views of the year 2000. Now, like I said, two like uh, at least two of these paper one of these pay-per-views, some summer like Survivor series, I didn't get to watch live because I was actually in college. I was actually in college at Virginia State University and on campus at the time that this pay-per-view aired. So I didn't get to watch. There were a lot of pay-per-views in the 2000s after SummerSlam that I did not get to watch live because I was on campus and we had no access to pay-per-view. I, we only could watch uh we could only watch uh, Raw and SmackDown to get caught up and stuff like that. So that's yeah. how that went down. But either way, so we went through them all from Royal Rumble all the way to some uh, Survivor Series. And we're going to talk about them all. Um, so the plan is to get through them and still, you know, with it to 
get uh, why am I having so much how so much difficulty talking? We're trying to get through this segment and still be at 90 minutes into the podcast. And if we are if we are at 90 minutes into the podcast and haven't even gotten past, like, say, WrestleMania or King of the Ring, we're going to go rapid fire on our thoughts on the rest of it. So that way we can get, keep this podcast under three hours. Yeah. Uh, because we last be time we did a retro. Can I finish it? Damn, Sorry. Jesus Christ, you. <laughs> okay, so basically, bottom line is the last retro review we did, we ended up with a four-hour podcast. Mm-hmm. I'm not doing that ever again. <laughs> I can't. No. I can't because that's difficult. Because the editing for that is crazy to do. So we're not doing that again. I'm trying not to have a four-hour podcast. If we get to 90 minutes and we haven't gotten past at least King of the Ring, we're going. We're just gonna go, 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 and then also when we go, go, go. Weekend review is going to be rapid fire. Yep. Because we're going to, tr- I'm doing my damnness to keep this podcast under three hours. I know the description in the podcast says two plus hours, but it doesn't say over three hours. It's two hours at least, but we're going to try to keep it under three. Is that cool? Yep. Cool. cool. All right. So let's talk and about the year 2000. For the most part, not 22. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's okay. Oh. Yeah. Anyway, let's begin things by talking about the Royal Rumble 2000. It took place in the Mecca Madison Square Garden in front of a paid attendance of 19,231 people with a buy rate of 590,000 buys. It would have the tagline of the road to WrestleMania begins. There were, of course, matches that were on Sunday Night Heat. We're not going to talk about those. But there were six matches on the card. Uh, Only three of them were for championships. And, of course, you had the 30-man over-the-top rope Moral Rumble matchup to determine who would get a WWF championship shot at WrestleMania 2000. So, without further ado, let's begin things. We opened up the show with Kurt Angle accepting the challenge of a yet-to-be-unnamed wrestler which would end up being one of the worst kept secrets in all of professional wrestling <laughs> because everybody knew who it was and even when they came out he still got one of the biggest pops of the night none other than taz who who basically defected from ecw and came to wwf and beat kurt angle in three minutes and 16 seconds with the kaja hajime also known as the taz mission at which point they they sold the shit out of this one. They made it yeah. seem like Kurt Angle was dead. <laughs> they said, uh, we have a problem here. They made it seem like he was dead. Uh, but Taz wins in his debut and ends Kurt Angle's long-running undefeated streak uh, as, since his debut at, some, at Survivor Series 1999. To, so what did you think about this um, opening match? Yeah, this was a part of year one for Kurt Angle in the WWF, and it was in this match where he had a great combination of technical wrestling as well as the explosive power suplexes from Taz. The shot that Angle took at the Knicks was absolutely hysterical before the match started, and a good way to get cheap heat from the fans at the end of the day. 316 is your match time as Angle's first big one streak comes to an end, but in a doozy of a match. Yeah, even though it was under it was under four minutes, a lot happened in that matchup. 
mostly the fact that I think the promo was longer than the match. I'm going to be completely honest with you. I think the promo was longer than the match. But, I mean, Taz got such a, a ovation being from New York. And uh, there was a, har- a hardcore following of ECW fans that also watched WWE. So I'm pretty sure they, you know, they really get, gave him a pop for that one. But it was a really, really, uh, really nice way to open up and really introduce some fans who may not be familiar with ECW to someone like a, a Taz or something. Yeah. Like that, so I thought it was. I thought they did it pretty well. All right, next up, it will be our first ever tag team tables match. It would be the Hardys and the Dudley Boys. These two teams had such a rivalry throughout not only throughout the 2000s, and then you add an Edge and Christian, which we'll talk about later on with WrestleMania, and then SummerSlam and King of the Ring, and and even some even Survivor Series. These three teams were intertwined with each other throughout the 2000s. And it started here with this tag team tables match that went 10 minutes and 17 seconds. And my goodness, the action in this one was absolutely fucking awesome. It was just crazy to me. All the spots like them doing off, like them jumping off a ladder and the turnbuckle to save time to take uh, Devon through a table, then trying to put Bubba through a table and missing, uh, and missing on different opportunities, but the big spot was then uh, Bubba Ray getting Swan Thron through a table to win the, for for the Hardys to win the matchup. They absolutely beat the shit out of each other. Yeah, Sith, what did you think about this one? Welcome to the shenanigans that is the tables match of the night. This was the first ever tag team tables match in WWF, and it was it's easy to relive when I first saw this in a casino out west back in the day. The match was electric, and it showed what would be on the menu with these teams going forward, to say the least. The only issue, and it's something I'll be complaining about throughout the series, cheer shots to the head. Okay, but I have a feeling that if this worked out back in the day with what we know now, the shots that wouldn't be happening as much. 10 minutes, 17 seconds, but damn, this was a wild match to watch. Yeah, I will say, I mean, just craziness and just so many great spots and the crowd was like heavy into it. Like this, I'm going to say something, this New York crowd was really into a lot of these matches. I think there was maybe one match they probably weren't that much into, which we'll get into in just a bit. But for the most part, they were into a lot of these matches. And this is one of those that they were fully invested into. Uh, the next matchup, I don't think they were that much invested into from what I saw. And that was the triple threat match for the undisputed WWF Intercontinental Championship. This is the, they had the whole angle where China and Jericho were sharing the they were co-intercontinental champions, but then you added hardcore Holly into the mix. Like I just want I really want to go back and watch the SmackDowns and Raws leading up to Royal Rumble to see how the fuck Hardcore Holly got in the mix of this bullshit here to make it into a triple threat. I want to know how he got into the mix with this shit. Anyway, the crowd didn't see too into it. Match wasn't bad, but it just wasn't spectacular. Uh, and Jericho would end up winning it with the Lion Saw to become the undisputed Intercontinental Champion. Much to an actual decent pop from the crowd being that, you know, his father used to like play games in that arena, I believe. So there you go. Anyway, the match was 7 minutes and 30 seconds. Sith, your thoughts, please. This was a fun triple threat match, and this had to follow the bullshit that was Miss Rumble 2000. Okay. Oh, my God. We're going to talk about that. Nah, we're not skipping over that shit. We're talking we about that. We both go ahead. Go ahead. Like, go ahead, though. Go ahead. 
Good. But this was an intergender match, which was awesome. Fun match, had a lot of frantic action, some false finishes, and a hell way to wrap this all up match-wise. Jericho's declaration before the match made me think on the rewatch, wait, he lost, right? Wrong. He won it in seven and a half minutes in a really good IC match. Yeah, no, this is, like I said, the match wasn't bad, but it just wasn't spectacular enough. And I just felt like the crowd just, just was not into it as much as I would think they would be into a match like this. So that's just my thoughts on it. But no, let's rewind. You brought that up and I completely forgot about that. We're going to rewind. Yes, prior to this and after that spectacular tables match, the good people of Madison Square Garden are treated to the Miss Rumble 2000 Swimsuit Contest. The individuals who were part of this uh, contest were none other than Ivory, who was very reluctant to even be participate, Terry, who was very happy to participate, Jacqueline, who was pretty happy to participate, Barbara Bush, BB, who was also happy to participate. Luna Vachon, who was very hesitant to, to, to join. And the cat. Yep, that's right. You had six women in it. So they all showed off this stuff to judges Andy Richter, Sergeant Slaughter, Tony Guerrero, Johnny Valiant, Fre Classy Freddie Blassie, and the Fabulous Moolah. Yeah, six judges. There you go. They showed yeah. off their swimsuits. A lot of them looked good. A lot of them was like really, like really nice and everything like that. Though, though Luna was the only one that didn't want to show her her her, her swimsuit. She didn't even want to take her coat off. I don't blame her. Whatever. So as they were deciding, the judges were deciding. That's when Mae Young decides she's going to come out and be a late entry. By the way, this is hosted by Jerry the King Lawler. By the way, and yeah. you know he's he was he was horn dog Jerry Lawler at this point. Anyway, still is. Mae Young. Yeah, still is. Mae Young comes out and decides to put herself in there. And she shows off her stuff, shows off her stuff, but then decides she's just going to show off her pups. And the commentary from JR is what makes this segment bearable because JR is absolutely losing his shit, saying, Oh, good God, no, man. <laughs> she's gotten to the sherry. <laughs> she, like, he, his commentary and, J, and J, Jim, Jim and Lawler's reactions are what makes this segment bearable. She ends up showing off her breasts, which they had to, like, of course, you're going to see censored. Yeah. In the street, the restream, but live it was there. You had live breast, oh, live old saggy breast, live on pay per view. Like, hello, here I am. And May Young, as a late entrant, ends up being the unanimous winner. After you know, afterwards, Mark Henry, who was her love interest at the time, which was one. This is one of the cringiest storylines around. Mark, Mark Henry oh, fucking God. an old woman. That was the cringiest shit in the world, God. And it led to him having a, the birth of a hand. God. This is why the attitude era can't come back. Because that shit doesn't age well. God. Anyway, Mae Young, after getting covered up by her boyfriend, Mark Henry, wins unanimously. She's Miss Rumble 2000. Boom. There you go. By the way, before I get Sif's thoughts on this, because of the actions of Mae Young exposing her breasts on live TV, WWE had and their deal with Channel 4 in the UK was terminated because of that. So they ended up losing a big deal with a, with a, ca a cable provider in the United Kingdom because of Mae Young's actions. But Sith, you brought it up, so now you get to talk about it. Fuck this shit, I'm out. <laughs> nah, fuck you. Well, nah, fuck you. <laughs> I am almost 50 goddamn years old. I did not need to see Mae Young take off Shaw for Tets. Oh my God. And 
this segment period, as Champ said, does not age well at all. It doesn't. But you tend to wonder why Hardcore Holly Jarrett, the Triple Threat, and New Age Outlaws versus the Acolytes didn't have much energy from the crowd. They had to sit through that bullshit. And I'd like to know, was this Vince's idea? Was this whoever was left in charge of creative after Vinnie Ruin Company left? Because this was fucking bullshit. Oh, my God. Ugh. Yeah, I wasn't a fan of this, but I was laughing my ass off through most of it just because of Jr. and Jerry Lawler. They made it bearable. If they were, if they didn't do what they did on commentary with their reactions, this this segment would have sucked ass. Would have sucked major ass. And this is another reason why anybody who keeps hollering about bring the attitude era back is shit like this. Is the reason why you can't bring the attitude era back. It just didn't yeah. age well. You can't sit here and tell me that an old, a seventy-year-old woman showing her her actual tits on pay-per-view is actually going to fly in 2023. Because I'm gonna tell you something, it doesn't. Anyway, <laughs> and then again, and then like Sif just mentioned, we had our tag team title match for the uh, t- tag titles between the New Age Outlaws and the Acolytes. And there was no energy in this one. And the match barely, the match didn't even go on that long. It went two minutes and 35 seconds with the New Age Outlaws retaining the championships over the Acolytes. Uh, Sith, your quick thoughts on this one? Because there's uh, not much to talk about. Yeah, this match was a bit of a bummer because it was short. But on the bright side, they still the good vibes of the New Age Outlaws entrance, though. Match was too fucking short. Two minutes, 35 seconds. Get ahead a little, you know. You could have gotten rid of Miss Rumble 2000 and added more time here. The match would be better. Yeah, I agree. I think that you take out that that segment with Miss Rumble 2000. I guess you know Vince had to find a way to put all his women on the pay per view somewhere to get all the horny oh. guys to get their dicks hard or something like that. I think that's the only reason why these women were on there because at this around this time this era the women were only put on there to make the horny guys masturbate. I'm I, I'm just going to put it out there. It's probably what Vince was doing back there with his old stupid ass. Anyway, so then we would go to our no holds barred street fight for the WWF oh. championship between Triple H and Cactus Jack. Mwah, chef's kiss after two after a one semi good match of, of prior to that a very weird segment and then a very 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 lackluster tag title match. You got yourself one hell. Mm-hmm of a championship match between Triple H who at the time was saying was was saying to be was had the golden shovel burying everybody's like nobody could beat him for the championship and Cactus Jack who absolutely brought out his usual violent side and violent self in this matchup you had wooden planks you had thumbtacks you had hammers you had all kind of weapons you had handcuffs. You had any and everything you could use in a matchup of this magnitude. And it went 26, almost 27 minutes. 26 minutes and 55 seconds was the match time with Triple H hitting not one, but two pedigrees. The second on a bed uh, on a on, on on thumbtacks laid out in the ring to put down Cactus Jack and win. But Cactus Jack would be the one that walked away from this match. Triple H would be left, would be carted out after he suffered a deep gash on his lower leg uh, above his Achilles uh, in the matchup that he wrestled through for most of the matchup to lead to him retaining the championship. Your thoughts on this one, Seth? 
the theme for this match as well as some of the matches that we're going to cover next week is something that I told Whitney before she died. Carnage Candy. Yes. Because, my God, this was a brutal match. It, but when you measure it to today's standards, think AEW or Impact where it comes to the intensity of the street fight because you can't have one like this in WWE with this much violence and blood. You just can't do it. This was a wild street fight that did its job as the penultimate main event before the Royal Rumble match. And Cactus saying, fuck off. I'm going back to that ring to use two by four again. God damn, that was wild. <sighs> the two by four wrapped in barbed wire in, in yes. that era was wild. That was wild. I don't care who you are. I don't care where you're from. A two by four wrapped in barbed wire is wild. Yep. It's wild to me. But again, this is one of this is one of the matches that saved this pay-per-view, honestly. The tag team ladder match absolutely brought it to a, a really high level, but then you bring up that segment with the women and then two matches that didn't really live up to really good expectations. And then you bring this match in and it saves it. Like it really saves this pay-per-view. All right. Yeah, and then we would have the 30-man Royal Rumble matchup to determine who would be the next to challenge for the WWF Championship chip at wrestlemania 2000 it went 51 minutes and 48 seconds this was the order of entry uh for the individuals in the matchup it would open up with d'lo brown and grandmaster sexay uh then it would be joined by mosh chris and christian who all were who were all eliminated by the man who entered the number five rikishi uh, Rikishi uh, would get those four eliminated, including eliminating uh, Grandmaster Sexay and uh, and Scotty Tuhati uh, when they were dancing with each other. That was funny. Uh, Scotty would come in at number six, Blackman at seven, Viscera at eight, Bossman at nine, Test at ten, British Bulldog at eleven, Gangrel at twelve, Edge at thirteen. Backlund at 14, which was got a huge pop, by the way. Like, I can't believe Bob Backlund got that, got that kind of pop in New York. That was crazy. Chris Jericho, Crash Holly, China, Farouk, Road Dog, Al Snow, Val Venus, Prince Albert, Hardcore Holly, the eventual winner, The Rocket 24, Billy Gunn, Big Show, Bradshaw Kane, The Godfather, and X-Pac. Uh, but it's funny because a note here that X-Pac was eliminated by The Rock, but the referees were distracted by the outlaws beating up K, so he was able to get back in the ring, and they were able to eliminate uh, Kane, but Big Show would end up eliminating X-Pac in the end. Rock would eliminate uh, Big Show in the end. There will be a storyline uh, afterwards regarding this elimination, but The Rock would win. He would last 14 minutes and 47 seconds in the ring, getting four eliminations, including the Big Show, to win his first First ever Royal Rumble matchup and go and have a shot at the title at WrestleMania 2000. A couple, uh, another notable in here was the multiple times that both the Mean Street Posse and Kai and Tai kept interfering, even though they were not official entrants in this matchup, including one where Taka got thrown over the top rope and he oversold and ends up face planting into the fucking floor. And then they kept repeating, they kept re. Like re-showing it on replay of him just yeah. face planting and looking like giving himself a fucking concussion. <laughs> anyway, Sid, what did you think about this one? You know, shout out to Twitch Graves. He said it best. This was a jobber rumble for the most part. 
I mean, but it had some entertainment value, though. Rikishi dancing with his two cool stablemates before eliminating them both. Also, the likes of Chris Jericho's China, Hardcore Holly, they're pulling double duty on this night. Winner was predictable with either Big Shore or The Rock at the end of the day. Turns out it was The Rock. A step down from what we would get next year in the Royal Rumble in 2001 for that match. But overall, a decent Rumble match, but far from the greatest of all time, though. Yeah, I mean, it was it, it had its fun moments, such as, like, Too Cool and Rikishi dancing before Rikishi says it's all business, just throws them both the fuck out of the ring and just says, hey, it's all business. We, we, I still love you, but it's business, yeah. you know? It's business. Uh, and then also, of course, Kai and Ty getting involved and then Taka face planning and then the, new, the in Mean Street Posse getting involved when it was Farouk and then when it was Bradshaw, them getting involved to keep them out of it. So Farouk and Bradshaw had a very bad fucking night. They lose, they lose their shot. At, they lose their challenge to tag title matchup uh, in under three minutes, and then they both get eliminated by the Mean Street. They get... Drop, they get screwed by the Mean Street Posse in the Royal Rumble matchup, and the Rock ends up winning it all. All right, your thoughts in yeah. terms of your grade for the Royal Rumble 2000. And hello, Midwest Viking. Um, and Switch Graves. Yep, two good dudes. Um, only major low point besides the Acolytes losing quickly to the New Age Outlaws is Miss Rumble 2000. Street fight between Cactus Jack and Triple H is insane and a classic, although some spots you can't have today. Hardys and Dudleys, Banger inaugural tag team uh, tables match. The IC match was pretty good. Rumble match, although not the finest we've seen when it comes to the Rumble. At least wasn't a shit show that we've seen in previous he- years. Overall, I give Royal Rumble 2000 a B minus grade. Not the best card that I'm going to look to go watch, but definitely far from the worst. Yeah, I'm going to agree with a B minus here. And like I said, I'm fully saying that the two matches that give this pay-per-view that B minus grade are that tag team ladder match tag team tables match and the WWF title match street fight. Those were your two highlight matches of the night. Everything else was just kind of there and but it did yeah. what it had to do. And then of course the Royal Rumble match was just there to basically recatapult Rock from back into the world title picture after, you know, he kind of middled off from the world title picture midway uh, after his loss to the Undertaker, King of the Ring, 1999. Uh, He kind of went off the grid in terms of the world title picture, but now you can bring him back into the world title picture by having him win uh, the Royal Rumble and things like that. So there you go. I'm going with a B- as well. All right, next up, WrestleMania 2000. And before we talk about WrestleMania 2000, I have to confess something. Yo, I was wrong about WrestleMania 2000. What? What? It's not as bad as I thought it was. Mm, yeah, kind of, sort of. No, 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 no. I thought I was under the great impression that WrestleMania 2000 was the worst WrestleMania ever. It's nowhere near the worst. Now was it great? Not, not, no. not, not really. But it wasn't as bad as I kept telling myself over the years. Especially yeah. rewatching it at forty-one years of age, it wasn't that bad. It was decent. 
Yeah, but I gotta if I I gotta admit to myself when I'm wrong. And right here, I was dead wrong. Yeah. WrestleMania 2000 was not the worst WrestleMania of all time. This WrestleMania <laughs> was actually not that bad. Let's get into it, shall we? Let's talk about yes, it. Let's do it. All right, we opened up here with a tag team match between the like Bull Buchanan and the Big Boss Man versus the Godfather and D'Lo Brown. Number one, I'm very disappointed because of the fact that. I guess because of copyright, even though it was on the aggression CD, they didn't have to show the entrance with Ice T performing Pippin' yeah. Ain't Easy to bring Godfather and D'Lo out. It was just immediately them in the ring and going into Godfather's um, uh, spiel, his, his little promo that he does before every matchup. I was very disappointed by that because I remember watching WrestleMania 2000 live and watching Ice T coming out performing the song and just getting into it because Aggression was a huge CD yeah. when it came out uh, in 2000. That was a big CD. Anyway, pretty decent opening matchup with 9 minutes and 8 seconds and it saw the boss man and Bull Buchanan. Bull Buchanan who was still new to WWF getting mm -hmm. the big win with the uh, high flying scissors kick off the top rope to get the pinfall victory for that team. Uh, Sip, what did you think about our opening tag match? Graves, I'm doing well my brother. Look, I remember popping in a casino. There was a casino that I lived about 45 minutes away from out in SoCal that showed all the WWF pay-per-views. So I would go there to watch the pay-per-views. You'd pay like a $5, $10 cover. You could get drinks. You could get food and watch it. Why couldn't we get iced tea doing the intro for The Godfather like we had back in the day? That was so fucking wild and fun. Match overall was a decent opener. Didn't keep me bored, which is a good thing. It's a good way to start the show, basically. 9.08 is your match time, and it flowed well. Yeah, it was it was fine. It was fine for what it was, and it really showcased the athletic ability of Bull Buchanan, who was still being introduced to the fans of the World Wrestling Federation at the time. Uh, but not bad to open up the show. And then we will have the 15-minute Hardcore Battle Royale for the World Wrestling Federation Hardcore Championship. Um, so let me tell you who was involved in this here championship match, if I can find it. The participants were... The APA, Funaki, Joey Abs, and Pete Gash and Rodney, the Mean Street Posse, Mosh and Thrasher, the Headbangers, yep. Takamichi Noku, so you have Tai, Taz, and Viscera, and along with Crash Holly and Hardcore Holly. Right? So. Here's how the, the, the match played out in 15 minutes. Taz got the first pinfall victory with a capture suplex at 26 seconds in to become the new champion. Viscera, about uh, almost like at a minute in, would get a power slam on Taz to pin him, and he would hold on to that championship for 6 minutes and 51 seconds before uh, Funaki would uh, get a, would pin him after Bradshaw hit Viscera with a flying shoulder tackle. Funaki would become the champion. That would only last for like a few seconds before Rodney uh, threw him into a roll to get the pinfall. And then 13 seconds later, Joey Abs pinned Rodney with a gut wrist suplex to become the champion. And then 22 seconds later, Thrasher pins Joey Abs with a clothesline. He's now the champion. 
And then uh, almost a minute later, Pete Gas would hit Thrasher with a fire extinguisher to become <laughs> the new champion. Then Taz, after hitting a T-bone suplex on Ta- on Pete Gas, he becomes the champion at 10 minutes and 17 seconds. He would hold on to that championship for four minutes and three seconds before Crash Holly would hit him with a cookie sheet to get the pinfall. And just with time uh, running out, Hardcore Holly hit uh, uh, hit Crash Holly with a candy jar. Well, hit Taz upside the head, which also hit Crash upside the head while Taz had the, the Taz mission in to get the pinfall. Apparently, it was a bot. The finish was extremely botched. Apparently, I think Crash was supposed to retain, uh, but they still said that Hardcore Holly won and Hardcore Holly walked away as the new Hardcore champion, last defeating Crash Holly for the belt in that 15 minute time limit. Seth, what did you think about this one? All right, champ, we need to add this to the so bad it's good file. Yeah. With all the chair shots to that, you would expect me to sit the shit all over this match, right? Yep. And it comes back around with all the craziness, and it goes back into good territory here. It was an entertaining 15 minutes, and I kept wondering what else was going to happen. Not a bad thing at all to sit through this carnage candy matchup at all. Good stuff. Yeah, I I'm I also have to say like this was this was just a wild affair between a bunch of people that just you know they had to find some they had to take a bunch of people that they wanted to put on pay per view and just have them just beat the shit out of each other in a hardcore matchup. Uh, but the ending just was just you could tell it was completely yeah. fucked up and they couldn't they had no way to fix it except to say that Hardcore Holly was the new champion even you know because Crash never kicked out. Crash never kicked out. It's just Tim Tim White didn't count the three count, so they had no way of fixing that, and the the, the buzzer never sounded, and the bell in the bell rang, so they had nothing else to do but to make it Hardcore Holly won the, the matchup, which I'm pretty sure was not the finish, and I'm pretty sure that Crash was supposed to retain the championship and things like that, but that didn't happen. All right, next up we had ourselves a tag team matchup that saw TNA tested Albert with Trish Stratus, who would be have been slowly becoming a very popular figure on TV. And we all know why. They took on the team of Al Snow and Black and Steve Blackman, known as Head Cheese. This was around the time that they were trying to get Steve Blackman over and give him a personality, and it wasn't working. <laughs> just it just wasn't working. And the, the worst part of all, they had a mascot at ringside with them, Chester McCheeserton. Obama in a cheese costume was at ringside. They still lost at seven minutes and four seconds of match, and they lost. And then they decide to beat up the fucking cheese. <laughs> Make sense of this shit for me, please. <laughs> what the fuck was that? This was a complete fucking train wreck. And I was thinking on rewatch, wasn't Usu already in WCW destroying that fucking company? You know, as bad as WWE can get in the standing, <laughs> this match was just flat out miserable to watch all over again. Not one of the worst matches of all time, but the good feelings I had watching the first two matches faded quickly watching the seven minute, four seconds shit show. Oh, and the turn after the match, just shit on top of shit. Fuck that. There you Thank go. Yeah, I, I just I think the only thing I enjoyed about this match was cheesy Chester McCheeserton getting hit with their double team finishing move. Other than that, um, I could I, I could die a happy man having never watched this match ever again. <laughs> I'm just gonna yeah. be honest with you. It, 
Anyway, but luckily for us, we would get a beautiful palate Whoa. cleanser afterwards because we would have our first ever triangle ladder match for the WWF Tag Championships. The Dudley boys were the champions at the time. They would take on Edge and Christian and the Hardys. And my God, it was 23 minutes and 30 seconds of pure, beautiful violence. It really took the bad taste out of any every fan's mouth from having to watch that tag match to see this beautiful marriage of three very talented tag teams going at it with the common goal trying to become tag team champions with the Dudley's trying to retain and Edge and Christian trying to win it for the first time in their careers mm-hmm. uh, and it was absolutely just amazing the spots were crazy the spot with Jeff Hardy doing a swanton off that big ass ladder yes. onto Devon Dudley that's still an image that people see on the internet to this day. That was 23 years ago. Yeah. And that's still an image that you see everywhere. Uh, the like, Just so many different spots, so many different things. The, the final spot where they had the table bridged on two ladders, and then Jeff Hardy, I mean, Matt Hardy gets pushed off by Edge onto a table below, and Edge and Christian yanking down those championships, becoming tag champions for the first time in their careers. Sith, how did you feel about this one? We go from a complete shit show to poetry emotion quickly. This was the first of three triangle ladder matches between Edge and Christian, the Hardys, and the Dudleys, and it's a classic start to finish and honestly this was not only an exciting and thrilling first installment and they stole the show but it brought me back to watching this for the first time and just being blown away and i felt those vibes again on this most recent rewatch 23 and a half minutes and holy fuck we went from one of the worst to one of the we went to one of the greatest tag team matches of all time 17-year-old me really loved this match when it, when it happened. 41-year-old me really, really loved this match, watching, re-watching it yes. after that much time away from it. Like, I could not believe it. I could not believe just, just everything about it. You could just tell that these three teams were destined to just be in a rivalry that would be so exciting and this wouldn't be the first this would not be the end no 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 this would not be the end this is only the beginning okay this is only the beginning so but this is a great beginning no 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 like if you would if you were to call if you would look at the rivalry between edge and christian the dudleys and the hardys as a book this was the prologue. This wasn't even chapter one. This was the prologue to what they could do as, as a trio for those tag titles. But basically, this is a no. Okay, this is the prologue and chapter one put together. Yeah. Boom. Let's do it that way. So then we get this palate cleansing matchup, and then we would get our palates fucked with again because then we would have the cat fight between Terry, Terry Reynolds and the cat. With Val Venus as a special guest referee, and basically the rules of the match were whoever got thrown out of the ring first loses. There was no wrestling. It wasn't no catch as catch can. It wasn't an arm drag. It wasn't no hip tosses, no drop kicks, no nothing. It was a straight cat fight with Cat throwing out Terry at least three times, but Val Venus being distracted and, and um, 
Moolah throwing Terry back in. Finally, when it came down to Cat getting thrown out, suddenly Val Venus sees it and Terry Reynolds wins. It was two minutes and 24 seconds of why the fuck is this happening on WrestleMania? Sith, why the fuck is this happening on WrestleMania? Because Vince needed to get his rocks off. Champ, I can equivalent this to a movie as to how miserable I was. Remember when I said on the basement that I refused to watch the 2005 remake of The Fog? Yeah. I refused to rewatch this match ever again. I need the two out, two minutes and 24 seconds. I need that part of my life back again. It was horrible in 2000. It's just as horrible now. And I think that we have come very far from this bullshit. Yeah, women's wrestling has came, come a long way from 23 years mm-hmm. ago where a match like this can end up on, on one of the biggest shows of the year and be given even any kind of time, let alone two minutes and 24 seconds. This could have been done on fucking Sunday Night Heat. And you could have gave that two minutes and 24 seconds to another matchup or something yeah. like that. But anyway, next up we would have our... Six-person intergender tag team matchup. China and Too Cool were going at it against the Radicals of Perry Saturn, Dean Malenko, and Eddie Guerrero. Mm. Benoit will be involved in the next matchup, which we'll get into in just a bit. Uh, but this is a very unique matchup, especially because of the fact that Eddie Guerrero had been, had been having his eye on China, his mamacita. Uh, yeah. But... And it would be funny because even though China and Too Cool will be victorious in this matchup, the match with nine minutes and thirty eight seconds, the very next night on Raw, China ends up with Eddie Guerrero anyway. Yeah. So there you go. Anyway, how did you feel about this one, Sith? Yeah, we got to see the radicals here. We got to see Perry Saturn, Eddie Guerrero, Dean Malenko. They took on Too Cool in China, and overall, it was a good matchup here. Although China ends up with Eddie the following night on Raw. Then I loved how they pushed China taking out all three radicals as well. Fun match here, delivered on a card that is very up and down for the most part. 9.38 is your match time. Yeah, again, like I said, it's just like in hindsight, like having already watched it live, and then seeing what happened after the next night on Raw with uh, Eddie Guerrero becoming the European champion, defeating uh, Chris Jericho uh, the next night for that championship. We'll tell you how Jericho got that championship in just a bit. Uh, and then China aligning herself with Eddie Guerrero. It's just so weird to just see them going at it. And the next night, it's like, that's his mamacita. Anyway, yes. speaking of what we just talked about, we had our two-fall triple threat match for both the Intercontinental and European Championships. Kurt Angle, who held both belts, taking on both Chris Benoit and Chris Jericho. And this is one that would start another angle for, Jer- for, for Kurt Angle uh, in that he came into the match with both championships. He was a double champion, and mm-hmm. he left with neither championship and was never pinned for either championship. Mm-hmm. Benoit pinned Jericho for the IC title in the first fall, and then Jericho pinned Benoit in the second fall for the European championship. This match went 13 minutes and 40 seconds, and to me was the second best match of the night behind the triangle ladder match. Do you agree, Seth? More poetry in motion with this triple threat with both the IC and European Championships on the line. This could be described in a word. Banger. 
You look at these guys, and with Angle, they're still within his rookie year, and he's shining. Jericho definitely showing off his skills that he had in ECW, WCW, and outside the U.S. Benoit showing his technical prowess. 13.48, just a lot of fun here. And, you know, if you look at this from a booking standpoint, this was a great way to keep Kurt Angle looking great in his rookie yes. year by having him not get pinned yet still lose his championships. That was the best way to do it was to have his challengers pin each other in the falls for them to gain gold, but him to still look like a million fucking bucks. Well fucking done. Right. Well fucking done, WWE, when it came to that. Then we would have our tradition, we would have a regular tag match between Kane and Rikishi taking on D-Generation X's X-Pac and Road Dog. As you know, during that time, Kane had had a relationship with Tori towards the end of 1999, but then around Christmas time, Tori turned on Kane to join DX and be X-Pac's uh, love interest and stuff like that. They were feud for the longest time. You got Rikishi involved in this one, and they had themselves a little four-minute matchup that would see Kane and Rikishi defeat the DX duo uh, in that one. I think that that 224 from that cat mat that cat fight match should have went to this one because I think they could have mm -hmm. done a lot, got a lot, done a lot more in six minutes and 24 seconds than in four minutes, if I'm, if I'm being honest. But anyway, Sip, yeah, yeah. what did you think about this one? A decent match that was overshadowed by the craziness after the match. Good chemistry at these teams. And with the theatrics at, during the match and afterwards, really kept me feeling, eh, okay. Uh, four minutes is your match time, and the stuff after the match, including Pete Rose, lasted longer than the match itself. Yeah, that's right. After the matchup, the San Diego Chicken came out to dance with Rikishi and Too Cool, and Kane thought it was Pete Rose, and he kept had the side eye, the side head on 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 the chicken because last year. Pete Rose came out in the chicken to try to attack Kane, and Kane ended up beating him up and hitting him with a tombstone. So he thought it was him again, but it wasn't. Pete Rose was like came out with no costume to try to attack Kane, but he got stopped. He got hit with the the he got hit with the the tombstone and then hit with the stink faced, <laughs> which hey. was funny as hell. So we got choke slam and then stink face uh, and, and force troubles, and that was it for him. Thank you for the 50-bit sunshine. I love you. Appreciate you. Uh, but, yeah, that's what happened. Yeah, that's what happened. That was Pete Rose got more action in that four minutes than he ever will in the Hall of Fame. That is true. That is very – that is so That is so fucking true, dude. Holy shit. Wait, hang on. Now nah, you got to get this. You can tell Whitney's <laughs> because I'm over here just busting at the seams now. <laughs> All right. Then we would have our fatal four-way elimination match for the WWF Championship. Up until this point, no heel uh, had walked away winning the main event at WrestleMania. Mm -hmm. So would Triple H be the first to do so in a very long time? The answer would be yes, which was a shock to everyone including the way it happened because it was a McMahon in each corner of course Triple H the champion was accompanied by his wife at the time st his storyline wife at the time Stephanie yeah. McMahon Helmsley The Rock was accompanied by Mr. McMahon 
Mick Foley was accompanied by Linda McMahon, and the Big Show was accompanied by Shay McMahon. Big Show came out with a shirt that said "Big Nasty Bastard," which I always popped at whenever I saw yeah. it. It was great. Uh, of course, Mick Foley wrestling in his first ever main event at WrestleMania in his career. Uh, this was a matchup. Okay, so here's how it went down. Of course. The Big Show was the first to be eliminated four minutes and 50 seconds into the match thanks to a rock bottom by The Rock. But then Mick Foley, after two pedigrees, one regular pedigree and then a second yep. one on a chair, Mick Foley will be eliminated 19 minutes and 40 seconds in, but not before attempting to do an elbow drop off the second rope onto a table and almost breaking his arm and his neck doing it. Uh, he would get pedigreed twice before and be eliminated. And then, of course, The Rock would uh, be ultimately eliminated after a couple of chair shots to the head by Mr. McMahon, who turned on The Rock to join uh, his son-in-law, Shane, his son-in-law, Triple H, and the McMahon-Helmsley faction to get, give Triple H the first man, uh, first heel in a long time to end WrestleMania as the victor and the World Wrestling Federation champion. 38 minutes was the match time. Then after the matchup, The Rock was not happy. He got his piece of flesh on Triple H. He would rock bottom Vince. Uh, Stephanie McMahon slapped the shit out of him, and he decided, okay, you're going to slap me. He rock bottom and people's elbowed her ass to end the show, and that's how the show would end. But Sith, how did you feel about our main event? Um, this was a fun fatal four-way that was overshadowed in the last six minutes with all the McMahon bollocks. Look, if Vince was going to turn on The Rock all along, why did he attack Triple H earlier in the match? Help it make sense. 38 minutes minus your match time for the main event, which until the last six minutes makes sense. But I'd like to correct the record. Triple H isn't the first heel to walk out of SummerSlam with the title. You mean WrestleMania? 1993, because he fucking robbed people out of that shit. Fuck him. Okay, dude. <laughs> Fuck off. But by but I just re, I just looked at it. I said the first heel in a long time. I got to make a correction for that. Outside of Sith's lame ass joke to take a shot at Hogan, Triple H was the first heel ever. To yes. win a main event uh, of WrestleMania. And then after the match, the entire McMahon family outside of Triple H ate rock bottoms. Both yep. Vince, Shane, and Stephanie. With Stephanie getting a people's elbow in the end to uh, to close out the show. But yes, Triple H would become the first heel to ever win a main event at WrestleMania. Despite what Sith says because he wants to take a shot at Hulk Hogan. Anyway. Frick, as the great Iron Sheik said, fuck the Hulk Hogan. <laughs> anyway, so what was your grade for WrestleMania 2000, sir? Um, C plus. It, it was up and down. Um, I love the three way ladder match. You know that that was historic. That was awesome. But then you go into the shit like Cat versus Terry, which really makes you have a sour note. You have something. If you want it so good, it's bad. Go to the Hardcore Battle Royal that fits the bill. It's a complicated WrestleMania, but one has major highs, but also some major lows. C plus. Yeah, I'm I, I'm gonna have to go C plus as well. Like I said, I thought it was the worst ever, but no, it wasn't no. the worst. It just had quite a few things on here that they that just should not have been 
on this fucking show. Like, that cat fight could have been gone. You could have did a lot more with that tag match with Kane and Rikishi and DX. But it was saved by the yeah. hardcore hardcore yeah. battle royal despite the botch. The tag team, that, that tag team triple threat ladder match was the amazing. And then the triple threat for both mid-card championships, really, those saved the show. And the main event was... Did it served its purpose of making history of keeping Triple H at the top, but also facilitating another Mr. McMahon heel turn and really strengthening one of their one of their most mm-hmm. strong storylines, which was the McMahon Helmsley faction. So yep. yeah, C plus. All right. Next up, we have the King of the Ring. As you know, WrestleMania took place in Anaheim, California. King of the Ring took place at the Fleet Center in Boston, Massachusetts, in front of 17,651 fans. And the buy rates were at 475 thousand uh this was uh, a big time event here of course it would uh see matches uh for the king of the ring tournament and a very unique main event six man tag team title match for the wwf championship there were 11 matches on this card for the interest of time sith here's how i'm going to do it I'm going yeah. to combine the quarterfinal matches and get, get your thoughts on that. Then I'll combine the semifinal matches and get your thoughts. And then, of course, we'll talk about the finals uh, and things like that. And, of course, yeah. we'll talk about all the other non-King of the Ring matches individually as well. So here were your quarterfinal matches that started off the show. They were the first four matches of the show. They have 15-minute time limits. You had Rikishi defeat Benoit by disqualification. Benoit got himself disqualified, hitting him with a chair, and then would beat him with a chair in his arm and put him in the critical crossface like twice. But it went three minutes and 25 seconds. Rikishi would move on. He would face the winner of Val Venus and Eddie Guerrero. Guerrero would lose to Val Venus thanks to some help from Trish Stratus. Uh, eight minutes and four seconds. Val Venus moves on. He will be facing Rikishi. Crash Holly with an upset victory over Bull Buchanan at four minutes and seven seconds. He will move on to face uh, Kurt Angle, who would manage to get a victory over Jericho in what was a really good match in the longest quarterfinal match of the night, nine minutes and 50 seconds. It will be Crash Holly versus Kurt Angle, Rikishi versus uh, Val Venus in the semifinal. Sith, your thoughts on our quarterfinal matches? Okay, first match. We were this close to greatness. We were so close to greatness. We were this close. Fuck me. Shit way to open. Just not good. Second match, Rare Venus, Techno Val. Cool. Good match, but I'm wondering how come Eddie Guerrero didn't go over here. Uh, Crash Holly Bull Buchanan. Bull dominates till the very end. Then it's like, oh, by the way, Crash wins. And then Jericho Angle promos were really a great way to get it going. This was one of the high points of your night and just a snapshot of greatness. Yeah, and Hector, yes, up until 2002, King of the Ring was its own pay-per-view. Yep. And it was actually one of the big five. Because it was a constant on the calendar before they started doing monthly pay-per-views. Thus, this is one of the constant ones on the calendar. So it was actually one of the big... That's we. They always talk about WWE's big four, but they were big five because the King of the Ring was also on the calendar every year along with the Rumble, Mania, SummerSlam, and Survivor Series. But yeah, King of the Ring used to be a pay-per-view all the way up until 2002 with uh, Brock Lesnar being the last to win the King of the Ring on pay-per-view. Until Xavier Woods, like last year. Anyway. Next up, our first non-King of the Ring uh, involved matchup would be a fatal four-way elimination match 
for the Tag Team Championships. Two cool the champions at the time. Uh, they took on the team of Edge and Christian, the Hardy Boys, and TNA. Uh, the order of elimination was as follows. T and A were eliminated first. Swanton from Jeff Hardy, three minutes and 40 seconds in. Uh, then Matt Hardy would get uh, pinned by the Impaler DDT. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and Matt Hardy would take, eat the pinfall by Christian at seven minutes and 55 seconds in. And then Grandmaster Sexay would be hit by one of the title belts by Christian. And for the second, for the third time, I believe they said during the matchup, they would become WWE Tag Team Champions again in the match with 14 minutes and 11 seconds. Sith, your thoughts? Okay, so this was a step down from the thrilling ladder match from both the Royal Rumble and WrestleMania 2000, but it was still a good banger before way, though. Even T. Colantini got some good work and looked good in the ring, along with the champs and the Hardys. You got to see four teams that in 2000 really elevated a really good tag team division. 14-11, your match time. Yeah, this was yeah, this is really good. And I mean, this was, you know, a microcosm, just this right here was a microcosm of how good the tag division was in WWE. And you still had you still had two other really good tag teams that were in the that were in the second the second the third to last match of the night in a very unique stipulation matchup mm-hmm. and, and things like that. But this was real this is a really good mixture of tag teams that were a part of this here uh, contest. All right, we're back in the King of the Ring territory in the King of the Ring tournament. By the way, prior to this uh tournament, there were quali- there were matches that took place on tv uh that got us to this point uh we're not gonna get through all of that but yeah they had tv matches and then they got us to here where they we had someone wrestle more than once uh rikishi with a big bruise on his arm would take on and defeat val venus but then val venus would attack him with the steel steps and then while while his arm was draped on the steel steps he would use the chair and hit his right arm between those steps and that in that chair causing more damage to the right arm but rikishi moves on to the semi to the finals in three minutes and 15 seconds uh kurt angle would beat crash holly in three minutes and 58 seconds to move on to the final sith what did you think about our semifinals, which were very very short too fucking short really this reminded me of watching queen of the rain or queen's crown where your matches only got three minutes tops and then the finals only got five minutes that's what this reminded me of because what these matches needed more time, they didn't get it. And it was just absolutely disappointing for both matches. Yeah, I, I agree. But I think around this time, around this time, uh, paper with pay-per-view, I think they de- they had a time limit and I think mm-hmm. they were trying to stay with that, that cause this is around the time that they didn't do three hour pay-per-views really. Yeah. I don't, I think they did like two hour pay-per-views. Uh, they started at like eight o'clock and they were done by 10 and stuff like that. So I think that they were pressed for time, but still again, I agree though. There's no excuse. You're, you know, the name is King of the Ring. So mm-hmm. the spotlight should be on your King of the Ring tournament and not on anything else and then we would get the silly bullshit because we had ourselves a hardcore evening gown match for the world wrestling federation hardcore championship between pat patterson and gerald briscoe these motherfuckers were wearing evening gowns it was a whole thing i swear for lord it was a whole thing it went three minutes and seven seconds thank god it was a short one 
But my goodness, the silly bullshit of this matchup was absolutely insane. And neither one of these men even rendered a decision because the 24-7 rule was still in effect. Crash Holly took advantage of that since he was eliminated from the King of the Ring, came in and won the Hardcore Championship, pinning Patterson, and then ran out of there. And all that was left was Patterson and Briscoe with torn off evening rounds in broad panties, and then Briscoe still decided he wanted to attack Patterson after the match. <laughs> Said, what, 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 make sense of this, please. <laughs> what am I sticking up right now? The middle finger. That's how I feel about this match. It, this had no business being here at all. Much, I mean, these guys were way over the fucking hill. They had no business being in a match, much less an evening gown hardcore match. One of the worst matches of the 2000s, easily. Fuck this shit. Just fuck it. Yeah, so the match got an official no contest uh, de- decision, but Crash Holly would walk away with the belt. And I'm just, I, this is another one of those matches from the 2000s that I would just much rather never watch ever again if I could help it. Uh, that's just me. Anyway, next up, we will have that unique stipulation match, uh, the, the unique stipulation match that took place pitting DX in a three-on-two handicap match, Tory Road Dogg and X-Pac taking on the Dudley Boys in what would be a handicap dumpster tables match. The rules were this. In order for DX to win, they would need to put both Dudleys into a dumpster. But for the Dudleys to win, they needed to put all three members of DX through tables. They managed to get two out of the three. Road Dogg got powerbombed from out into the ring, outside the ring, through a stack of two tables. X-Pac got powerbombed through a table, or got suplexed through a table. But Tory Tory would hide in a dumpster. When the Dudleys went to go get in the dumpster, they got hit with chairs multiple times, dropped into the dumpster. They would close the lid. Boom, they would win, and Road Dogg and X-Pac win the match, but didn't realize Tori was in the dumpster still with the heart, with the Dudley boys. The Dudley boys would yank her out. They would hold on to her. She would be slapping and trying to get away, but they was not letting her go. When X-Pac got in the ring, 3D for his ass, boom. Road Dogg got in, thought he was doing something. Boom, 3D for his ass. They get the table that had Tori's name on it. They stick it in the corner. They bubble gets on the top rope. Tori at first just looks like she doesn't care. Then as soon as he stands up, suddenly her face changes to like concern. And then boom, she gets powerbombed through the table. And Bubba Ray looks like he just had an orgasm. Sit, talk about this one for me, please. This match went nine minutes and 45 seconds, by the way. Yeah. Um, another case of why the hell did the wrong team go over here? As good as DX was a stable. By 2000, they were in the twilight of things in the run at the time. They had no business winning this fucking match. Match was something that I would bury on a weekly show because this match just doesn't cut it at all. Glad we don't have dumpster matches anymore. Holy fuck. 9.45 is the match time. Feels twice as long. I'm actually in I'm actually in a minority in saying that I enjoyed this match. I don't even care about who got over because it still led to the ultimate goal that Bubba Ray wanted to put her through a table and he did. That's all I cared about was the fact that Bubba Ray yeah. got accomplished his goal. They didn't need to win the match for that goal to be accomplished. They like there's two ways this could have gone. They went the way that it did with DX winning, 
but it still accomplished the goal that Bubba Ray put Tory through a table. And that's all yeah. that that's all the crowd cared about. That's all the crowd cared about. Yeah. The crowd popped hard when Tory went to that table. They popped hard. So there you go. Mm-hmm. All right. Our semi our semi main event would be the finals of the King of the Ring tournament that pit Kurt Angle against Rikishi. Uh, the match went five minutes and fifty six seconds, so four seconds short of six minutes for the for this final for the King of the Ring with Kurt Angle hitting an avalanche belly to belly side suplex on Rikishi and then managing to cover him to get the one two three and get the victory. They would have the coronation the next night on Raw, uh, but we would be saying King Kurt for the next several months as Kurt Angle became the king of the ring, yet another accomplishment of what has been a banner first year for the former 2000, uh, 2000 former Olympic gold medalist. 96. In, thank you. Ni- former 1996 Olympic gold medalist, uh, Kurt Angle. Sith, what did you think? The arm injuries that were a theme on the card continued here for the finals of King of the Ring for 2000. That said, this match was just more indicative of the fact that you didn't need seven matches for the King of the Ring tournament on a single pay-per-view as it deprives people of what they want in the ring as far as quality matches are concerned. Easily one of the top five worst King of the Ring final matches ever. 556 is your match time. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the King of the Ring didn't really get a lot of match time. I think, like I said, the longest match out of all of the tournament matches was uh, the last quarterfinal match between Angle and Jericho that went nine minutes and 50 seconds. Everything else was just, you know, eight minutes, four minutes, three minutes, three yeah. minutes. You know, it was under under four minutes, under three, whatever. So, yeah. Yeah. It is what it is. But then we will have our main event, a very unique matchup. It was a six-man tag team matchup between The Rock and the Brothers of Destruction, Undertaker and Kane, versus the McMahon-Helmsley faction, Mr. McMahon, Shane McMahon, and Triple H. But the WWF Championship was on the line, meaning whoever got the pinfall on the opposite team, would on anybody on the team with Triple H, would win the championship. The main storyline here was the cracks beginning to show on the faction while there was a team on the other side that couldn't get along because everybody wants to be WWE champion. And sure enough, all of that showed in this matchup. It would be it would be a chaotic matchup all over the place. The biggest spot of the night came when Shane McMahon got chokeslammed off the top row through the announce table by The Undertaker. Kane turning on his own partners, but it didn't even matter because as Vince McMahon was trying to do the people's elbow, Rock popped up, hit a rock bottom, one, two, three, and for the one, two, three, for fifth time in his career, The Rock will become the WWF champion in almost yes. 18 minutes. 17 minutes and 54 seconds was the match time. Sif, your thoughts quick, quickly, please, sir. Okay, defending your top title in a tag team match, not a good idea. Not in WCW, not in TNA, and not in the WWE, WWF. Bad idea match-wise with all the shenanigans, I got bored. This is one of the worst ideas in pro wrestling history. 1754 is your match time, but this is one of the worst stipulations I've ever sat through. I get the, the, the I get the idea behind it because they wanted they wanted to put the title on the rock but didn't want rock pinning Triple H because he had already mm-hmm. did that at Backlash a few months earlier. By the way, I was at that backlash. Great, great pay-per-view. If you haven't seen it, go watch it. Um, but 
I agree with you, Sif, that I think that it's it was a poor way to to do it, having a six man and then having Vince be the one to eat the pinfall, uh, because then it created more tension between everybody. But then you know it would call it, the McMahon Hemsley faction would then slowly dissolve and they would go off and yeah. start doing their own things, which we'll talk about next with with SummerSlam. All right, quickly, Sif, your grade for King of the Ring 2000, except for the four way tag team match is card isn't worth watching c minus yeah i gotta agree with a c minus uh even p uh, even 411 manias kevin uh, petroya gave the rate of the event a rating of 2.5 very bad stating quote a rough show 2000 had so yeah. many great pay-per-views but this one just missed the mark in so many ways the booking was strange with the wrong guys going over on several occasions why put dx over the dudleys why have benoit and eddie go out so quickly in the tournament the show features one of the worst matches ever in patterson versus Bradson Briscoe and only two of the 11 matches cracked three stars hell only four of the 11 matches reached two stars it might seem harsh but I just didn't enjoy this it would have fit in in as a WCW 2000 pay-per-view end quote ouch man hand him the shovel he buried the shit out of King of the Ring 2000, bro. Holy shit. Yeah, All right. Cross kick. I kicked the shit out of him, man. I kicked the shit out of him. All right, quickly, we're going to move forward to SummerSlam. SummerSlam took place in the Raleigh Entertainment and Sports Arena in Raleigh, North Carolina, in front of 18,000 fans in attendance with 570,000 buys for this event. Uh, it was headlined by a triple threat match for the WWF Championship. The Rock defending against both Kurt Angle and Triple H. Mm. Let's get into it quickly. We open with the right to censor and six-man tag action. Bull Buchanan, the Godfather, mm. and Steven Richards taking on Too Cool and uh, Rikishi, who were joined by former associates of the Good Father when he was the Godfather, Mandy mm. and Victoria. Your thoughts on this four-minute, 57-second match? A good mid-card opening match. Right since the right really went over as it was a new stable, although hotly controversial as well. Still love when the crowd was chanting, bring the hose as the good father at the good father, as well as the ending where we were going to get the warm, but to no avail. Yeah. Yeah, this was a good way to open the show. I, I enjoyed it. It was really nice. It had, had everything you wanted, including including the hose getting involved. But then, but right to center still went over, so there you go. Yep. All right, next up, we will have what was... Considered a friendly rivalry, air quotes, uh, Eddie, uh, X-Pac taking on Road Dog, and then X-Pac using a low blow to win the matchup at 4 minutes and 31 seconds. But then after the match when X-Pac would say, you know, no hard feelings, uh, Road Dog would still hit the doggy-style pump handle slam and get the last word. Uh, pick, uh, give us your quick thoughts on this match, Seth. Good heel versus heel matchup is there's a disillusion of DX implodes here big time. Not match of the year contender, nor should it be, but it's a match that delivered. So there you go. Yeah, I mean it was it was what it was. I I enjoyed it for what it was. And I just go from there. That's all I can say. All right. Next up, we will have our intergender tag team title tag match where the WWF Intercontinental Championship was on the line. Val Venus was the champion at the time, teamed with his business partner, Trish Stratus, to take on 
Eddie Guerrero and his mamacita China, and then whoever got the pinfall on this on that side would become the Intercontinental Champion. It was mostly Val Venus because at the time Trish Stratus was not truly a trained grappler when it came to the professional wrestling ri- uh, ring, uh, but so they were trying to protect her as much as possible. But she did get in, she did get in a few lumps, get in a few bumps. She did try, she did get in some some office, uh, but in the end, it was a press slam from China, and it would be China pinning Trish Stratus, and China would become a three-time intercontinental champion celebrating with her pop with her latino heat uh eddie guerrero afterwards the match was seven minutes and four seconds your thoughts please um fun intergender match for those upset about china going over please by all means i'm going to collect your tears they're trying to give china a major push in the mid card as much as possible good match though seven to four is your match time yeah, I agree. Like I thought, I thought that it was really good, and it was a great way for China to once again become the Intercontinental Champion without, you know, pinning Val Venus by pinning the less experienced Trish Stratus. It worked out perfectly, and it led to sort of a, I guess, I guess you could say, split away from Val Venus and Trish. He would later become a part of the Right to Censor, and there you go. All right. We would have our grudge match, Taz taking on yeah. Jerry Lawler. Taz had been... Uh, have been uh, tormenting JR for the past number of weeks, and Jerry King Lawler got tired of it and decided to deal with it. They would have a match, and it would be a fair matchup. It would be mostly all offense for Jerry Lawler, but uh, Taz would get it quite a significant bit of offense, leading to him locking in the Taz mission and then calling JR a redneck multiple times before JR got up, took his glass bowl of candy, and smashed it over fucking Taz's head. King would get the pinfall, and it would be Jerry the King Lawler defeating Taz in four minutes and twenty-one seconds. What did you think about this one, Seth? Uh, Miss Love Match had no place on TV, much less a fucking pay per view. Damn, <laughs> that's Fuck fucked up. That's fucked up. Taz no selling the the power driver was crazy to me. I will say that yeah. that was crazy. Exactly. Him no selling the power driver was crazy, but the ending was was great because even Jr. got in tr- involved and that was great. All right, next up, Steve Blackman and Shane McMahon for the hardcore title. Shane McMahon had been running from Steve Blackman for most of the night, but he couldn't run here. It was all Blackman for most of the match until TNA got involved. Uh, TNA tried to get involved, but Blackman was able to fight them all. The end would see Shane McMahon climb up to the near top. Of the the set the entrance setting the entrance way setting of the of the venue before getting hit multiple times with a tendo stick falling literally seventy feet down to the uh, down to the below then Blackman would go down a little bit before dropping an elbow drop on the shaman man getting the pinfall and Blackman will become the new intercontinental new hardcore champion ten minutes and seventeen seconds your thoughts Seth. Shane was showing what he was capable of because people didn't buy him as a wrestler. Steve Blackman, absolute badass. Decent match. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I think, like I said, that's another one of those spots that they replay over and over again for years to come, that spot, because of how deftified it was. Uh, but what, it was a crazy one there. Uh, next up, we will have our two out of three falls matchup uh, between Chris Benoit and Chris Jericho. These two had such a great rivalry throughout the two, two, uh, through 2000 into 2021, and it would go the, this way. Benoit would lock in the cross face and get the first fall with a submission three minutes and one second in. Yep. Uh, Jericho would get a submission at eight minutes and 25 seconds with the walls of Jericho. But then the third fall would see Benoit use some some 
sneaky tactics by using the ropes to get the pinfall and the match with 13 minutes and one second with Benoit winning the two falls to one. Uh, Sid, what did you think about this matchup here? Um, it's a match that I know that WWE wishes was removed from time given what happened in 2007, but this is a doozy and a great way to keep things going because this was a fucking clinic. Yeah, I agree. Like, these two guys absolutely put on great matches in their rivalry during that time period. And this was just another one of those classics. They would have another one uh, at Royal Rumble 2021 in a ladder match for the IC title. Uh, they would have a banger at WrestleMania. Uh, I mean, they they really, mm-hmm. and they would also have a really big banger at Backlash that following year in 2001. Uh, just banger after banger after banger. Uh, speaking mm-hmm. of bangers, we would get what would become synonymous with WWE. That would be the inaugural tables, ladders, and chairs match for the WWF Tag Team Championship. Edge and Christian, the champions, taking on the Dudleys and the and the Hardy Boys. Again, this is the inauguration of a match that would later become its own fucking pay-per-view, ladies and gentlemen. But it all started in yes. Raleigh, North Carolina at SummerSlam 2000 with this matchup that went 18 minutes and 38 seconds. So many different high spots, including Bubba Ray getting pushed off a ladder through multiple tables stacked up. Hardy going through a table. Lita getting speared by Edge and her head hitting the top of a ladder. Um, mm. The... Uh, Bubba, Devon Dudley and Jeff Hardy hanging on to the apparatus after the ladder is removed. By the way, Devon admitted that he's afraid of heights when they did the triangle ladder match back in WrestleMania, and he said that that's no kayfabe. He's legit afraid of heights. Uh, but he ended up doing those spots and everything like that. It was an incredible matchup, Seth. How did you feel mm-hmm. about it? Absolute electricity, and I know some of the spots don't age well. I just love this match start to finish. The chicken out stirred, absolute fucking banger. I agree. I really thought that I really this was like, again, this will be the basis for this match to be brought back over and over again to the point that it would become its own pay-per-view with variations of only having either tables matches, ladder matches, chairs matches or the combination of the three in one match. Uh, Next up, we would have the stink face match. Three minutes and seven seconds of the cat and Terry. Hmm. What more can I say? At Except least they're good looking women. That is true. That's about it. Cat <laughs> uh, would win the match with hitting. Cat would win the match with using the stick face on Terry. Cat uh, was actually accompanied to the ring by Al Snow, Terry by Perry Saturn. Uh, Sif has no thoughts. We're going to move on. <laughs> no, they're both hot. Other than that, fucking waste of time. Move on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> anyway, then we will move on to our semi-main event, our, our penultimate matchup. Kane and The Undertaker in a no disqualification match, and it ended in a no contest. Tell me how that makes fucking sense that a no disqualification match ends in a no contest. I'll tell you how they make how they made it make sense. They beat the crap out of each other, and then Undertaker ripped Kane's mask off, and Kane walks away, covered his face, and gets out of the arena. And that's how they call it a no contest because, of course, in a no DQ match, there's no countouts either. So that's how they made it make sense for us. Sip, can you make sense of it for us? No. Okay. 
No, this is, is the bad no. apple that deemed the card here. Okay, this is the work. This isn't the worst match of the night, but it's pretty fucking close because of the ending. But at least it was a good brawl. Yeah, it was a good brawl, but holy fucking shit. How are you going to justify having a fucking no contest in a no disqualification match? Like, that makes zero sense to me, bro. That makes zero sense. But what do I know? I'm just a wrestling fan. That's all I am. Anyway. Um, next up, we would have our main event, Triple Threat Match, The Rock defending the WWF Championship against Triple H and Kurt Angle. It started with Kurt Angle coming out, uh, cutting a promo where he would mention Triple H's wife, Stephanie McMahon-Helsey, which they replayed over and over again the SmackDown prior to the pay-per-view of him kissing her and her liking it. They replayed that shit so many times throughout the broadcast, I was getting nauseated. Anyway, uh. Triple H would come out to attack Kurt Angle. They would fight. The bell didn't even ring at this point, by the way. No bell. Then there was a spot where Triple H was going to pedigree Kurt Angle. Excuse <laughs> me. Through a table, through the announce table, but something went wrong. The table collapsed before as they would, he went up for the pedigree, causing Kurt Angle to legit hit his head on the table, concussing him instantly. Instantly. Yes. He would, The Rock would finally come out after uh, Triple H got the sledgehammer. They would go and fight. Kurt Angle would be taken away. Kurt Angle would then get reintroduced into the match later on. By the way, him, the way he was acting, that wasn't storyline. He was legit concussed, ladies and gentlemen. He was legit, he legit had a concussion and went out and finished the matchup. Brave or stupid or both. I don't know. Either way, The Rock would retain after Triple H would get hit with a sledgehammer after he accidentally punched his wife in the face. He got hit in the head with a sledgehammer by Kurt Angle, hit with a hit with a people's elbow, and pinned. And Rock, The Rock would retain the championship. But the story here was that trip that Kurt Angle once again trying to mess with someone else's mind carries Stephanie out of the arena after she was knocked cold by a punch while The Rock celebrated. Sith, what do you think about this main event, please? A lot of shenanigans, but at least it was entertaining. Yeah, yeah, that's that's very true. It was at least entertaining. Like, if you're going to have shenanigans, at least be shenanigans that are actually entertaining and and someone who can, I, something that I can invest in. This whole storyline with Kurt and Triple H and Stephanie McMahon, like I said, I remember watching the Raws and Smackdowns leading up to this. This was cringe as fuck. Uh, yeah. How Kurt was able to keep going while he was shoot concussed is bravery and stupidity blended together in a nut. Yeah, no facts. He was legit concussed. Like he wasn't, that wasn't kayfabe concussed. Like, oh, I'm going to go out the match and sit backstage and chill and then make when it's my time go. No, he was legit concussed. All right. What do you got to say about this one? About this whole event, Seth? Great, please. Uh, B minus. Yeah, I got to. Yeah, I got to go be honest as well. I think that a lot of these did not hit the mark that they should have. Uh, the intergender match was it was fair, but everything about this was just like, eh, you know, it is what it was. Um, actually, Kevin uh, J.D. Dunn of 411 Mania actually gave a very good rating, a, a 8.5. He said, quote, this was the height of the WWF as former Daily Show writer Chris Kresge booked one of the more compelling soap opera angles in WWE history. Unlike what Russo did, Kresge's stuff was always streamlined, so it never spun out of control or lost focus like so many Russo angles. Plus, 
with Jericho and the Radicals and in the WWF, there was now now enough actual talent to put some wrestling on their wrestling show. Imagine that. Most of the matches are throwaways, but this night, but the right people were put in the right places to do the right matches, and that's where the entertainment comes from. Solid thumbs up. So he actually thought it was really good. He gave that uh, rating back in 2006. But yeah. yeah. Anyway. That was SummerSlam. Now it's time to talk about Survivor Series. Survivor Series was headlined by two main mat by two main matches, all involving the one storyline of who hit Stone Cold Steve Austin. All right, this event took place at the Ice Palace in Tampa, Florida, in front of. 18,602 people. There were 400,000 buys. The tagline was "The rules have changed." All right, we're going to get right into it. We're not going to waste any time. We're going to get right into it. There was a match that was on Sunday Night Heat that saw Val Venus of the of the right to censor, along with the Bull, Bull Buchanan, the good father, Christian and Edge, taking on Jeff Hardy, who was joined by the Dudley's leader and Matt Hardy. This is a preview of their Survivor Series match that would take place later on on the main card. Val Venus would be victorious over Jeff Hardy in eight minutes. That's cool. We'll keep it moving. What opened the show was a six-person mixed tag match that would see Molly Holly, Crash Holly, and Steve Blackman, the hardcore champion, taking on TNA and Trish Stratus. Blackman and the Holly cousins would defeat TNA and Trish Stratus in this one. The match with five minutes and six seconds. Your thoughts on this one, Sith? Predictable fucking best, but it's guilty pleasure. Yeah, I agree. I, I absolutely agree. I thought I thought so too. Uh, next up, the Radicals were back together again and in full. Eddie Guerrero, Chris Benoit, D. Malenko, and Perry Saturn. Eddie Guerrero would be the Intercontinental Champion. Uh, D. Malenko would be the Light Heavyweight Champion. They would take on the team of K. Quick, Ro- uh, Road Dog, Jesse James. The one Billy Gunn and China. This will be shortly after China broke up with Eddie after finding him cheating on him with a couple of the Godfather's ladies. Uh, they would have that whole angle. This will be the first of two Survivor Series elimination matches. They, this went the way of the Radicals. It went 12 minutes and 41 seconds. The eliminations were as follows. China was first eliminated by Perry Saturn at 2 minutes and 30 seconds in. Eddie Guerrero would be uh, eliminated by Billy Gunn at 6 minutes and 1 second. Kay Quick would be eliminated by Chris Benoit at 7 minutes and 18 seconds. Road Dog would be eliminated by Perry Saturn at 8 minutes and 48 seconds. Then Dean Malenko would eliminate, uh, be eliminated by Billy Gunn at 10 minutes and 58 seconds. But Billy Gunn would not be able to withstand the 2v1 and would fall to Chris Benoit at 12 minutes and 41 seconds. Chris Benoit and Perry Saturn, your sole survivors, Sith. Thoughts? Uh, to quote Bill Mount Science Guy about the ending of Billy Gunn going over, it just makes no fucking sense. It's bullshit. Why did he get why did Gunn go over when you did your best to showcase the radicals? Well, why? Gunn didn't go over. Gunn lost. He yeah. got eliminated by Perry Center. But no, I get what you're saying though. I get what you're saying. But they were trying but they were trying to rebuild they were rebuilding Billy Gunn because you know he lost yeah. his Mr. Ass thing and he was now the one and stuff like that. So yeah. I I guess I get the thought the thought process behind it though. All mm-hmm. right, next up. Uh Chris Jericho and Kane went at it and all it, this rivalry started all because Chris Jericho accidentally spilled a hot cup of coffee on Kane and made a comment about it, and Kane went off the deep end. Uh, it led to Kane getting a victory over Chris Jericho in this match, 12 minutes and 35 seconds. I feel like this match could have been on Raw. Yeah. 
I think this match could have went on Raw. Don't you think, Seth? I mean, honestly. Yeah, could have been on Raw or SmackDown because there's no chemistry here at all. The match just bored the fuck out of me. Yeah, honestly. Uh, next up, it was an impromptu matchup that was added to this matchup, uh, added to this card. William Regal would defend the Har- the European Championship against Hardcore Holly, and he would win by disqualification in five minutes and six seconds. Uh, what did you think about this one? Love the promo by Regal. The match made it fucking best. This is another match that should have been on Raw SmackDown. Yep. No disrespect to either one of them, but this was this was a TV match. Counting ballots. Yeah, because that this is this is like a few a couple weeks after they couldn't decide between George Bush and what's his face. George Bush and um, what was his name? Fuck, I can't remember his name. Who who he went up against? They had they couldn't figure it out. Florida, uh, Florida fucked it up, (laughs) and they were in Florida. All right, next up, it will be the singles match, the grudge match between The Rock and Rikishi again. This is one of the two main matches on the card that was centered around the who hit Stone Cold Steve Austin angle with Rikishi being the admitted wheel man and implica- trying to implicate The Rock when The Rock had nothing to do with it. Uh, this was a pretty good matchup that went 13 minutes flat uh, with The Rock getting the victory with the people's elbow, but afterwards Rikishi would absolutely destroy The Rock with not one, not two, not three, but four bonsai drops uh onto the rock to like accentuate his injured ribs his kayfabe injured ribs uh, what did you think about this match Seth? uh good news selling by the rock and i still love the story that rikishi hit stone cold for the rock as that story is so bad it's good that all said though it's a case of we're getting the payoff the following month where it comes to the overall story yeah but i really like this this chapter of it honestly i thought this chapter was really good um Next up, we would have a match for the WWF Women's Championship. Ivory, who recently had joined Right to Censor and became the Women's Champion over Lita, took on Lita and her and Lita's rematch for that championship. And one of the takeaways from this match was that a spot in the matchup where Lita, where Ivory went to throw a work punch, and it ended up being a shoot punch. That opened Lita up the yeah. hard way, and Lita would bleed for mess of the match, but Ivory would cheat, hitting, uh, holding the belt up as Lita went for her leader salt. She would hit the belt. Lita would get pinned. Ivory would retain the championship. Four minutes and 55 seconds uh, to retain. Seth, what did you think about this one? This is about the quality you get from AEW. It, it's a guilty pleasure for me. Yeah, I just I just found it like crazy that like Ivory went for a work punch and legit punched her so hard that it busted her open the hard way, and that Lita still fought through it and um, and put on a pretty decent match with the time that they had. All right, next, which I thought was the strangest thing in the world, the WWF Championship match was the eighth match of the night, and there were two more matches after this, so this wasn't even close to the main event. Kurt Angle defending against The Undertaker. Now, one of the things that viewers noticed was the fact that The Undertaker was wearing very loud pants. The story is is that Undertaker's gear got lost in travel, and he had to borrow some of the Godfather's old gear in order to go out and wrestle, which is why he's wearing leopard print. (laughs) But outside of that, 
16 minute, 15 second matchup between Angle and Undertaker, which ended with the Undertaker thinking that he hit the last ride on Kurt Angle. And as Ebner counted one and then two, he looked and realized that ain't Kurt Angle. Yeah. Then Kurt Angle, then the real Kurt Angle would come out, roll up Undertaker, hold on to the tights, and get the three count, giving him the victory to retain the title. We would later find out that that was Kirk's brother, Eric Angle. Thoughts? This is one of the reasons why this pay-per-view really isn't all that good, but it's in the middle of what I call one of the better, better multi-arc stories as it accumulates in my Lord Armageddon, but it's incomplete to me knowing what's going to happen, though. Yeah, I agree. Hold on. No, I agree. I I think that you know, but I think I like the uniqueness of him using his lookalike brother to get the dupe yeah. and stuff like that. But it just it just sucks that they ended up being pushed to outside of the main event uh, and stuff like that. That the fact that the next match was a Survivor Series the elimination match really tells you a lot about the start of Kurt Angle's title reign. Uh, and stuff like that, and they were. It was the start of the decade of destruction. Uh, uh, Undertaker would debut with Russell at, in WWE at Survivor Series 1990, uh, and he would celebrate one a 10 year anniversary of his debut with WWE. All right, next up, we would have the Dudleys and the Hardy Boys teaming together against Edge and Christian and the right to censor Bull Buchanan and the Goodfather, who were the WWF Tag Champs at the time. Uh, this match with 10 minutes and 4 seconds. Here were the eliminations. Matt Hardy was first. He was eliminated by Edge at 3 minutes and 59 seconds. Uh, Devon Dudley would be eliminated by Christian at 5 minutes and 8 seconds. Then Bull Buchanan would be eliminated. Then Bull Buchanan and Edge would be both eliminated by Bubba Ray Dudley. Bull Buchanan at 7 minutes and 32 seconds. And then Edge literally 27 seconds later at 7 minutes and 59 seconds. Uh, the Good Father would eliminate Bubba Ray Dudley at 8 minutes and 40 seconds. Christian would then, then Christian and the Godfather, who were the last to remain against Soul Survivor Jeff Hardy. Hardy would eliminate Christian at 9:39, and then a Swanton to Jeff, to got to the Good Father at 10:04 would give him the victory, and he would be the Soul Survivor. What did you think about this our penultimate matchup? Uh, it's a bummer because this is only one of two Survivor Series traditional matches in the match for the Survivor Series. But at least the can they coexist trope works well here. Yeah, but I just can't believe that that got the billing of penultimate over a WWF title match. That's yeah. what kills me is that they got the building of being right before the main event instead of the WWF title match. That kills me. Next and finally, it would be Stone Cold Steve Austin versus Triple H in a no disqualification match. This match went 35 minutes and nine seconds. And just like in SummerSlam, a no disqualification match that went to a no contest. But this one made sense. Here's why. Because Soko Steve Austin committed a homicidal pay-per-view. <laughs> he, he committed a homicidal pay-per-view. <laughs> he picked up Stone, Triple H's car and he flipped it over and dropped it on the, on the top going down and it smashed. It was a homicide, damn it. Yes. What did you think, Seth? Uh, well, get the ending to a show that's so shocking that knowing that this is a continuing arc until next month, it's just wild that you could have cut down by a few minutes, but a merciful way to end this pay-per-view. 
Yeah, I got. I gotta say, like the 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 match itself was pretty good. Just the ending is just the yeah. shock ending, and then you know him like you know Triple Stone Cold calling him a son of a bitch, and then flipping it over, and then Triple H yelling, "Oh shit!" Boom, and then the pay per view mm-hmm. just ends. Like we yeah. don't know if Triple H died or anything. We just know that the car got flipped over, got smashed. We heard Triple H say, "Holy shit!" and that was it. The pay per view was yeah. over. It was over, it was over, it was over. That's how we know. All right, great. Uh, C minus. I'm going to give this one uh, a D plus. Um, just <laughs> no, nothing on this card hit, except for yeah. the Rock versus Rikishi. That was it. Rock versus Rikishi was the only match to hit. Everything else and just... And the, the, the main event was fine. The main event was fine, but... I think that The Rock and Rikishi carried the entire pay-per-view, which is crazy because it was literally in the middle of the fucking card, and it yeah. basically carried the pay-per-view over a matchup that was even that was involved in that was part of that that was part of that that match. It was yeah. part of an overall storyline, and this is what we got. D, D plus. I was not impressed. Not impressed. D plus for the year. Um, Royal Rumble and SummerSlam 2000 overall. Everything else. Is skippable. Royal Rumble was the best pay per view of the big mm-hmm. five of the two thousands, without question. Uh, yep. Again, I was very much wrong in my assessment that the Royal Rumble was the worst Royal Rumble. Never Royal Rumble. That, Rus- that WrestleMania two thousand was the worst Royal WrestleMania in history. It wasn't. It wasn't that bad. It just wasn't spectacular, especially given the fact that it is WrestleMania. But I will also give a C plus for the big five of 2000, uh, just up and down around the board. Like you may have gotten a lot of good reactions at the time, but as you, you look at it 23 years later, they don't age very well. Nope. They don't age very well at all. They don't age very well at all, unfortunately. Hey, you. Yeah, you. You enjoying this episode? I hope you are, because if you are, you can go ahead and subscribe to us. We're currently on Anchor and Spotify, as well as other podcasting platforms. So subscribe, follow us, and also check us out on social media, on Facebook, facebook.com slash nospotspod, as well as twitter.com slash truenospotspod. Now we return to the show. All right. Looking at the time, I think we, I think we can push through our weekend review fairly quickly and keep this under three hours. So we're going to do that. So now, yeah, that's what we're going to do. Rapid fire. So now, ladies and gentlemen, it is time for our weekend review, also known as Push or Bury, the segment of the show where we look back on all the wrestling shows on TV this week, from Monday Night Raw all the way to AEW Collision, picking out five bits segments matches out of each show and giving them a rating of either a push big push or mega push if we liked it or we if we thought it was meh giving it a small push or leaving it where it is or if we didn't like it we bury that shit so this week raw and smackdown are continuing to build towards their next premium live event which is fast lane nxt is building towards no mercy Impact is coming off the fallout from Victory Road, plus celebrating 1,000 episodes of Impact Wrestling. As well, uh, uh, on that, on top of that, as well as building towards. 
Bound for Glory. And then, of course, we, uh, of course, AEW is coming off the fallout from All Out, as well as preparing for Grand Slam at Arthur Ashe Stadium in New York with Dynamite, Rampage, and Collision. And, of course, we have grades for Raw, NXT, the AEW shows, and SmackDown, all courtesy of our friends at Bleacher Report. And, of course, the good, 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 good man Slip will look at those grades and give his thoughts on those grades as well, as well as any overall grades that are provided. So, without any further ado, let's begin by talking about this week's Monday Night Raw, which fell on the anniversary of 9-11. And we opened the show up with Jay Uso coming out to speak. But before he could speak, Kevin Owens came out to let him know nobody in that locker room likes you and they don't respect you. You're going to have to earn the respect back. They will be interrupted by the Judgment Day. And then it led to a match, Judgment Day versus Kevin Owens and Jay Uso. Sith, Pusher Berry, both our opening segment as well as the match between Jay Uso and Kevin Owens against the Judgment Day. Overall, good push, but stop piping in the crowd noises. It's better when Dom's being booed out of the bidding, out of the building naturally, and the match was really good. Push. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I really like the storyline of Jay Uso trying to regain the trust of the locker room after his days with the Bloodline. So I give it a push as well. Uh, Xavier Woods was back in action after taking a couple weeks off after getting hit upside the head with a chair uh, by Drew McIntyre. He took on Ducky Drew McIntyre in singles action. Pusher Barry, Xavier Woods versus Drew McIntyre. Uh, big push. Like this match a lot. And not only dropping into the heel turn, but Woodson's trombone. Good shit. Yeah, I, I feel the heel turn coming for Drew McIntyre. It might be a bit of a change for him. I'm giving this yeah. a big push as well. I really enjoyed it. All right. Walter officially became the longest reigning intercontinental champion in history. And, of course, he had to celebrate. But there was a lot of shit that happened for his celebration. Pusher Berry, Walter's icy title celebration segment. Uh, push bordering on Big Push. Really, really cool. I give it a push as well. I like the fact that now Champ is in the mix and, and uh, Chad Gable's not giving up on his opportunity to become the Intercontinental Champion. Piggybacking off of that, it created a matchup where Tommaso Ciampa would team with the Alpha Academy to take on Imperium in six-man tag team action. Push a bury our six-man, Sith. Uh, push bordering on Big Push. Really good six-man tag. Yeah, I got to agree. Very good tag match. And again, Tampa now getting involved in this one really creates a lot of intrigue as well. Of course, our main event saw Rhea Ripley defending the Women's World Championship against Raquel, Raquel Rodriguez. But as the match progressed, a certain someone returned out of nowhere and actually influenced the decision in this matchup. And then after the matchup, made her intentions very clear. Sith. Push or bury Rhea Ripley versus Raquel Rodriguez, plus what happened afterwards. I give it all a big push. Look, if people listen to Sean Ross said, Nijax was already re-signed back when Vince reassumed power. And it was a good match with a good shocking ending. I give it a big push. I'm just very leery of Nia Jackson, her reputation of being sloppy. She did that bonsai drop. It didn't bother to brace herself and landed all her weight on fucking Rhea Ripley's chest. I didn't like really? that at all. I didn't like that at all. I, 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 that's something that's got to be watched. I'm dead ass. That's got to be watched. All right. Our grades for this week on Raw are being brought to you again by Bleacher Report. And Doc, 
Chris Mueller, your boy. All right. The Judgment Day versus Kevin Owens and Jey Uso. That got a B minus. Agree. B minus. Good call. The Miz versus Akira Tozawa got a C. Uh, C plus, despite 50 50 booking. Walter celebrates a new record that got a C plus. I give it a B, but then again, I'm biased towards Imperium. You know that. Xavier Woods versus Daddy, Big Daddy Drew McIntyre got a D pl- a B plus. I'm sorry, B plus, B plus, B plus. <laughs> Plus, indeed. Chelsea Green versus Shayna Baszler got a C minus. I give it a D. I love carrying Chelsea, but not now. I just love the way that Samantha Irvin ring announces Chelsea Green's yes. name. I just love it. Tommaso Ciampa and Alpha Academy versus Imperium got a B plus. A uh, B. Good shot. And then Rhea Ripley versus Raquel Rodriguez for the Women's World Championship main event got a B plus. I agree, B plus. The overall, the final word from Doc Chris is as follows: "Quote: This week's episode of Raw had a few really good matches and moments, but it was largely forgettable as a whole. The a three-hour show only having six matches isn't that ridiculous when you consider most WWE pay-per-views are three hours with six or seven bouts. But when a couple of those matches are five minutes or less, there will be a lot of filler. The six-man tag match and the main event were highlights, but Woods versus McIntyre and the tag match between the Judgment Day and the team of Owens and Jay were both fun in their own way. If this show had one or two more matches and not so many interviews, promos, and video packages, it would have been much more enjoyable. In quote, the final grade was a C plus. I agree, C plus. Way too much filler and just all over the fucking map. Yeah, I agree. It was all over the map. All right, NXT again building towards no mercy, no mercy. Uh, and we opened with a match that was going to determine who was going to face Carmelo Hayes at that pay-per-view premium live event for the NXT Championship. Ilya Dragunov versus Wesley opened things up. How did you feel? Push a berry, Sith. Stupendous. Mega push. Wow. I'm going to... I really like the matchup so much so that definitely this gets my first mega push of the week. I really enjoy this the interaction between these two. And Dragonov is just absolutely just crazy in the ring. I loved it. All right. Once again, we are combining our Heritage Cup matches here today as we had on on we had in our global uh, Heritage Cup matches, we had none other than, hang on, I'm, I'm getting them right now. You don't have to tell me. Just let me find them. We had Tyler, Tyler Bate, Tyler Bate, Tyler, Tyler Bate against A-Kid in one matchup. And in the other, we had Nathan Frazier versus Akira Tozawa. How did you feel about both matches, Push or Barry? Uh, 
Tyler, Tyler Bate, 8K gets a big push. Akira Desire Nation needs a Frazier small push, averages to a push overall. Yeah, I'm on the push bordering on big push because of the uh, great action between Bate and A-Kid. Uh, so Zao and Frazier was, was average at best, but uh, I think that the 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 first matchup was much, so much so good that I think it, it carries it to getting close to a big push, but not quite there. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, we had Drew Gulak, Charlie Dempsey, and Damon Kemp in six-man tag team action against Josh Briggs, Brooks Jensen, and Miles Bourne, with Miles Bourne turning on the team and rejoining Team Gulak, leaving Fallon Henley looking like a dumbass. Uh, push or bury the six-man tag match? Mm, give it a push. It was decent. If it wasn't for the turn... This would have got a small push, but this gets yeah. a regular push because of the turn. Because now it's like, okay, I really thought he was going away from them, but he's not. He's staying around. Uh, the Creed brothers, after re- being reinstated in the cage match against the Dyad, had their, uh, had some action against Malik Blade and Idris Anofe. What did you think t- about this one? Push or bury? I give it a push. It was a good study matchup. Yeah, great. Very much a push. Uh, really good. Again, the NXT Tag Team Division is starting to get strengthened up with uh, the Creed Brothers back in action. Idris Anofa and Blade, uh, that new tag team, them big boys, them big strong boys and everything like that. Gallus. Uh, it's great. All right. Finally, our main event for the NXT Women's Championship. Tiffany Stratton offending against the man, Becky Lynch, the man has come around to NXT. Push or bury our main event? Stupendous. Mega push easily. Hmm. I love the fact that Tiffany Stratton was able to go toe-to-toe, blow-for-blow with the man. And was able to really show why, even in two, just only being in this for two years, she is turning out to be one of the brightest, shining young stars in professional wrestling. But the fact that Becky Lynch finally becomes the Grand Slam man, finally winning the NXT Championship after God knows how many times she tried when she was a part of NXT, she finally wins it all. That's why this gets my second Mega Push of the Week! The man has come around, and the man's going to be hanging around as the NXT Women's Champion. There are so many opponents for her to have for that championship that she can elevate. It's going to be awesome. All right. The grades for this week's episode of NXT are brought to us by Kevin Burge of Bleacher Report. First off, the number one contenders match for the NXT Championship, Elia Dragunov versus Wes Lee. That got an A. A plus, come on. I would agree with an A. I, I would agree. I would A was fair. I, I would agree with an A plus though. Yeah. Um. Next up, Baron Corbin tries to show respect to Braun Breaker for the brutal assault on uh, Von Wagner. That got a C plus. Uh, B minus. Drew Gulak, Charlie Dempsey, and Damon Kemp versus Josh Bridge, Brooks Jensen, and Miles Bourne got a C plus. Uh, C plus, but if not for the turn, if the turn would have gotten a C minus. Laura Valkyria versus Dana Brooke got a C. C plus. It was just a little bit better. Global Heritage Invitational match. Tyler Bate versus K Kid got a B plus. B plus agreed. 
The Creed Brothers versus Malik Blade and Idris Anofe got a B minus. B minus, and God love having the Creeds back. Nathan, Nathan Fraser versus Akira Tozawa, Global Heritage Invitational Tournament match got a C minus. I agree, C minus. Heartbreaking because I love those guys. And an NXT Women's Championship match, Tiffany Stratton versus Becky Lynch got an A. A plus. All right, sorry, I'm keeping an eye on my fantasy team. I'm about to lose one. I'm about to. I'm trying not to go one and two this week, and it's looking interesting. Anyway, all right, the overall from Kevin Burgess as follows, quote, NXT promised a huge event and largely delivered. The opener and main event were as advertised. Ilya Dragunov and Wesley performed at their highest level with the time they had and sold the importance of becoming number one contender for the NXT championship. The Mad Dragon looked like a world beater with his victory. Becky Lynch pushed Tiffany Stratton to main roster relevance by the end of this match. She looks ready for the big time. The man can now help lead the NXT women's division to heights it has not seen in years. The rest of the card was solid but often rushed. The best match across the rest of the bill was Tyler Bate versus A-Kid, which almost reached the heights of the two show-defining bouts despite having less heat. The problem with NXT remains a need to overload the card and too many potential good matches get three to four minutes at a time. However, the stories continue to advance in interesting ways. NXT is on a hot streak and this was easily its best non-themed show of 2023. The stage has been set for an exciting no mercy on September the 30th. End quote. Overall grade was a B+. I fully agree that this was better than Raw, and it's definitely one of the better. Sh- it's the best non-special show of NXT, but I give it a B. But still, this was better than Raw. Maybe it's just me. fair. No, that's fair. That's fair. That's absolutely fair. All right, let's talk about Dynamites real quick, shall we? Let's talk about Dynamites. And we begin, of course, with uh, John Moxley defending the international championship. He took on none other than Big Bill. Push or bury this contest? Uh, opening matchup, give it a push. It was pretty decent. Yeah, I, I have to agree with a push as well. I thought it was really good. Uh, Mox fighting from underneath against the big man, but still manages to survive. I really mm-hmm. liked it. All right, Don Callis had a segment where he revealed the Callis family's next target, which would be none other than Kota fucking Ibushi with a very brilliantly made picture for the occasion. Don Callis' segment, Push or Bury? Mega Push. I mean, when you beat Kenny Omega twice in seven days, they don't call you the ace, they call you the alpha. And then he called Kenny Omega a cuck. (laughs) That ass mega push. Just those lines alone, and then the pictures saying that he's gonna target his tag team partner, his golden lovers tag team partner. Hell no. This gets the third mega push of the week. I mean, just amazing. And Don Callis is proven to be one of the unsung heroes on the microphone. He is almost on the level yes. of a Paul Heyman. Almost. He's almost on that level. He's getting there, honestly. 
All right, we would have our eliminate. We would have our number one contenders four way for the AEW Women's World Championship to determine who would face Soraya at Grand Slam the following week. It would be Dr. Britt Baker, DMD, Hikaru Shida, Nyla Rose, and Tony Storm, all former Women's World Champions, with Tony Storm walking away with the victory. Push or bury our fatal four way. Uh, typical Tony Khan booking. Push six and a half minutes. Three of it was pitcher and pitcher. That's fucking insane. Yeah, I give it a push as well. Uh, I think that what's also insane is the fact that it was Tony Storm out of all people that won it, and now they, they're going to have them, uh, Saray and Tony Storm go hell when it looks like Tony Storm has distanced herself from the outcast and has turned herself into sort of like a 20s Hollywood starlet, if you will. So there you go. I like uh, unhinged Marilyn Monroe, if you will. Yeah. No, that that's actually dead-ass accurate. For real, for real. Yeah. All right. Hangman Adam Page and Brian Cage went at it for the third time in AEW with Hangman winning in the third match of their trilogy. But then afterwards, we would get what we wanted, push or bury Hangman versus Cage, then the aftermath. Uh, Big push bordering on mega push. This was fucking great. Match was great. Aftermath, Swerve finally decides he wants to face Hangman at Wrestle Dream, but then he would get attacked by Brian Cage. But the Young Bucks were around to help out and got rid of both Cage and Prince Nada, who, by the way, is, as we mentioned last week, signed a new contract. All right. Our main event would be the AEW. Okay, thank you. Touchdown. All right, Tua just scored a touchdown. I'm, I'm feeling good. Okay. Um, Roderick Strong and Samoa Joe went out in the main event to determine who would face Maxwell Jacob Friedman for the AEW World Title uh, at Grand Slam the next week in the Grand Slam World Title Eliminated Tournament Final. Push or bury our main event, plus what happened afterwards? Uh, big push bordering on Mega Push. Great shit. The fact that Strong lost and then afterwards he looked like he was fine, but then as soon as he saw Adam Cole just went into an immediate like pain attack and all this, and then the kingdom was like being like protective little bitches. It was crazy. This gets a big push for me as well. I really enjoyed this. Really enjoyed the match. And the aftermath was funny as hell. Anyway, uh, Eric Beeston of Bleach Report provides us with the grades for this week. We begin with our international championship match between Moxley and Big Bill. They, he gave it a C plus. B minus. All right. We would get Don Callis revealing his latest masterpiece. That segment got an A. I agree. A. Grand Slam Women's Championship four-way eliminator got a B. C plus. Le Sex God Speak got an A. A, definitely. Yeah, I thought the segment was good. I should have included it, but I didn't. We'll say as an honorable mention. What would you give it if we would have included it? Mega Push. I would have gave it a big push board on Mega Push. Hangman Page versus Ryan Cage 3 got an A. A minus, but damn, that was awesome. Nick Wayne and Darby Allen versus Matt Menard and Angelo Parker got a C plus. I gave it a B. I like how Nick Wayne's starting to look here. And in the Grand Slam World Title Eliminated Tournament Final, Roderick Strong versus Samoa Joe got a B plus. A minus. The overall grade from Eric Beast in the Breacher Report is as follows: "Quote: This wasn't the best episode of Dynamite." 
but it did continue to show's recent strength of quality broadcast, thanks in large part to the sense of urgency when it came to hyping next week's Grand Slam. There was a clear focus on Wednesday night that elevated the significance of next week's broadcast. Key stars and stories were appropriately spot spotlighted and developed. Chris Jericho and Guevara, Jericho and Guevara had a great in-ring promo. We know what to expect uh, next out of Callis and Takeshita, and the world title program took center stage by the end of the show. It's a shame AEW cannot find its level of booking more consistently. When the creative forces have an end game in sight, as we saw entering All In and again Wednesday night, the booking is tighter and the shows are typically better than normal, end quote. His overall grade was an A. A minus. If AEW can find this level of consistency down the board and spotlight women better and keep this type of pacing, it'll help them in the ratings as well as with the gate of these shows. True, I agree. Uh, wait till you hear what I have to say about uh, the T the two TBS title match that we had this weekend. It'll be very interesting. Uh, yeah. Anyway, let's move on and talk about Impact Wrestling. Impact Wrestling opened up with a huge opening segment with Scott Demore welcoming everybody to the 1,000th episode of Impact Wrestling, and it would be preceded. It would be followed by the return by some a lot of returns of some past knockouts uh, as well as the appearance of present knockouts to establish the teams for the knockouts uh, matchup that's going to be taking place on next week's show. Sith, push up bury our opening segment. My only disappointment is that I didn't have Kiara Hogan there because she's under contract with AEW. Big push bordering on Mega Push. I got the beautiful people. I got Gail Kim. I got uh, fucking mickey james the fact that the quintessential diva thought you know was trying to good was trying to you know suck up to the beautiful people and they kind of like you know they kind of messed up they kind of like kind of brushed her off it was kind of funny this gets a big push border on mega push as well i really love the fact that we know what the teams are it's gonna be great i loved it all right next up guess what return after years in in captivity Feast or Fired. Yes. That's all I'm going to say. Feast or Fired return. Push or bury this one, Seth. Uh, big push. I agree. Big push for the return of Feast of Fire. Plenty of great spots. And, and the uh, the winners of that of that were Chris Bay, Crazy Steve, Yuya Yurimura, and Moose. They all walked away with cases. And we'll find out this coming Thursday what they got. Um, I have a feeling. I have a feeling. That Yuya's coming back to New Japan, so I think he gets the fire case. Because I think his yeah, excursion's over. I and I, I, I think his excursion's over. He's heading back to New Japan. So I think he gets the fire case, and he heads back to New Japan and, and ends his excursion and comes back as uh, a new person. That's what I'm thinking. Yep. All right. Next up, Alicia and Eddie Edwards were in a mixed tag match against... Frankie Kazarian and his wife, the original knockout Tracy Brooks. But then after the match was over, we had a very special announcement that would bring out a lot of emotion. Sith, push or bury the match plus what happened after. Uh, big push, absolutely. This was great. So for those who don't know, after Frankie Kazarian and Tracy Brooks were victorious over the Edwards, it was announced that Tracy Brooks would be the next inductee 
inductee into the Impact slash TNA Hall of Fame, joining uh, uh, joining Mike Tanay and Don West for this year's class. Uh, a well-deserved honor for such a great knockout who originally was one of the original knockouts during the TNA days. So congratulations to her. All right. What about the segment which involved Josh Alexander coming out to speak, but then getting interrupted by Alex Shelley, who looks like he's turning heel? Push or bury the segment. A big push. I'm going to give it a push boarding on a big push. I don't like them turning Alex Shelley heel already, especially if he's still in close uh, association with Alex with uh, Chris Saban and the Motor City Machine Guns. I just don't like it yeah. for this program. I think they could have gone another way with this one. So I'm giving it a push, boarding on a big push. Uh, and then finally, our X Division Championship matchup. We would see Leo Rush take on Chris Saban with Saban making history, becoming a 10 time. That's right, 10. 10 of them things. 10-time X-Division champion defeating Leo Rush, which will open the door for Leo to head back to Japan to begin preparing for his title match against uh, Hiromu Takahashi and Mike Bailey for the junior heavyweight title. Push or bury our main event? Uh, mega push. Just please stop hopping the X-Division championship. Big push border on mega push because I feel like they hopitailed the X-Division title. But again... It gets close to a mega push because of the historic nature of it. Ten times he has won that championship. That's all I got to say about that. Honorable mention to Team 3D's return to Impact Wrestling, facing and squashing the Desi Hit Squad. If that had been on here, Sith, what would you have given it? Uh, push. Same. Definitely would have given it a push as well. But I thought it was just great, the nostalgia of them coming back. The crowd really were in, so they were digging uh, the Team 3D. And it... and. Devon looked great. Not bad for yeah. someone who suffered a stroke just three years ago and had major back surgery. He looked really good in that match. All right. Smackdown time. Smackdown time. Smackdown time. All right. We opened the show with a hell of a, pro a segment in which Pat McAfee shows up because he was just down the road in Boulder for a ESPN College Game Day and decided to come to Denver to say hi. Austin Theory decides to interrupt and talk his trash, but then The Rock showed up. Push or bury this opening segment. Make a push. This is how you do a shock return, and I cried when The Rock showed up. Did you really? Did you really cry? Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's awesome. This gets my fourth mega push of the week. I mean, there's there's no other there's no other way to say it. Like, it's the fucking rock. It's the yeah. rock. No, there was no indications, no murmurings, nothing of the rock just showing up in Denver and just hitting Austin Theory with the people's elbow. Like, there's nothing. I loved it. Yeah. AJ Styles, AJ Styles, and Finn Balor had to follow this, by the way, which I felt bad for them, but they went out and did their thing as well. Pusha Berry, AJ versus Finn. A uh, big push. Uh, champions got jobber entrances. That's fucking bullshit. Yeah, I agree. I, I didn't like. I did not like the fact that that Finn and Damian didn't get an entrance into 
the show. I mean, they barely, they didn't really get an interest into the show. I think that's kind of that kind of sucks. Uh, but I'm going to give it a big push as well, just because the match was really good. Yep. All right, LA Knight versus The Miz. I really was under the assumption that Miz was going to win this one. There's going to be a third match in this one. But no, LA Knight wins clean. So there you go. Push a berry. LA Knight versus The Miz. Uh, big push. Yeah. Big push. Yeah. Yep. I'm with you. Big push. Yeah. Asuka and Bailey went at it. And this was very unique because of the fact that. Uh, Shotzi got involved in this one and stuff like that. So push or bury this one. Uh, push bordering on, uh, push bordering on big push. It was a good match, but not their best effort. Yeah, I agree. Push, and then of course our main event segment was the Grayson Waller effect featuring John Cena with involvement from Bloodline, Jay Uso, John, every all kind of shit going on in this one. Push or bury this segment, main event segment. Not as impactful as Grace from all their effects should be. I'll give it a push, push bordering on Big Push. Yeah, I think it was a lot going on here. And, you know, you're going to advertise John Cena being on such a, a, a show. Yeah, you're going to have your heel be all, talking all over him, but at least let him get in a word edgewise. So I give it a push. All right. Eric Beeston provides the grace for SmackDown this week from Beast from Bleacher Report. The opening segment with Pat McAfee's return, Austin Theory interrupting, and The Rock returning got an A plus. Of course, it's an A plus. Come on. All right. Next up, AJ Styles versus Finn Balor. That got a B. B plus. Okay. Next up, LWO versus the Street Profits. Got a C plus. B minus. Post match elevated it. Yeah, I agree. Uh LA Knight versus the Miz. That gotta be. B plus. Alright. Next up. Oscar versus Bailey. Got us B. B. Agree. John Cena on the Grayson Waller effect. Got a ooh, C plus. I give it a B. It was decent, but, you know. All right. The overall grade was as follows. Quote, the show started with the returns of Pat McAfee and The Rock, and there is not much a wrestling show can do to top that. WWE tried presenting three matches with top-tier talent, the start of Bobby Lashley and the Street Profits heel run, and another primetime showcase for L.A. Knight. The show felt a bit rushed at times, but it focused on the superstars and segments that were of the most significance, which so it was a success. That main event promo segment, though, fell off for whatever reason. Hopefully there is more to it than a predictable tag match because John Cena and the others involved have earned better, end quote. The overall grade was a B plus. I agree, B plus. Yeah, it was bleep. Yeah, E plus. All right, let's talk about Rampage. Rampage. Mm. All right, we open up with an eight man tag match that will see the Lucha Brothers and the Hardys taking on the team of the Butcher and the Blade, along with Double J, Jeff Jarrett, and Jay Lethal. Push or bury our opening eight man, plus what happened afterwards. Way too much happening. Give it a push, but 16 people on inside and outside the ring combined. Note to Tony Khan, this match was overbooked poorly. Jesus Christ. 
Yeah, I will give it a push as well. I said that. I said if there's more people outside than inside, this match is going to be a clusterfuck. And sure enough, it was. And then you add in the 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 uh, the righteous yeah. towards the end, looking over the Hardys. I was just like, this was just too much. But the end reaction mm-hmm. was fine for what it was. Anyway, um, the Kingdom were in action. Matt Taven and uh, mm-hmm. uh, Mike Bennett. They were in action, taking on Christopher Daniels and Matt Seidel. Push or bury our tag match. Give it a push. Give it a push. It was a fun match. Push as well. I, I enjoyed it as well. Uh, it was great to see Matt Seidel and stuff like that. Anyway, moving on. What the hell's going on? Um, next up, we would have uh, the acclaimed in six-man tag team action. They would take on the team of Peter Avalon and the Outrunners. Interesting. Uh, it would be a it would be a, a basically a squash, but then afterwards, the acclaimed would get a challenge. From an unlikely team, push or bury. Um, give it a push because of the promo. And yeah, the Dark Order are now wanting a shot at the AEW, AEW World Trios Championships, and I'm here for it. I'm, I'm here for it. Let's get it. All right, next up. So I wanted to include this because of the fact that I thought this was very, very interesting. I know you don't like QTV, but I thought this week's QTV segment was quite interesting to the point that, you know, you can see the John, like John, the former Johnny Nitro, now Johnny TV is actually enjoying these segments. Push or bury this week's QTV segment? Leaving it where it is. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Wait. He's saying, nah, fuck that. I'm leaving it where it is. I'm giving it a push. I thought it was entertaining as fuck. I just really, I just, I thought for once it was actually entertaining. Other times it's just like, why is this shit on my TV? This time I was actually like, this is actually pretty entertaining. But I do want it not on my TV anymore. But still. What? It's not as cringeworthy, but still. Mm. Rough. I mean, yeah, I get it. I just, I just, I just thought this week's episode. I thought this week's installment was actually pretty entertaining, and I think it's actually better without QT. I think it's actually better with just Johnny Nitro or Johnny TV leading them. I just, that's what I thought. That's what I thought. Anyway, and then our main event would see the TBS Championship defended Jay Cargill challenging the only woman who defeated her for that championship, Chris Statlander, and what was a banger of a matchup. I'm telling you right now, if this was Jay Cargill's final match in AEW, she went out on top, even though she lost. She went out having her best match of her career with this one. Push or bury our main event? Big push bordering on mega push, if not for the filler. This would have gotten a mega push. This needed more time. You know what? The fact that it got 10 minutes and 7 seconds, I'm I'm fine with that. It's a big push bordering on a mega push. Again, I think if this was Jay Cargill's last match in, WW, yeah. in AEW, she had her best match of her young career. Hopefully, she doesn't get wasted in WWE. All right. The grades, courtesy of Bleacher Report, they come to us from Doc Chris Mueller. The Lucha Bros and the Hardys versus Butcher Blade, Double J, and Jay Lethal got a C plus. C plus grade. 
the Kingdom versus Christopher Daniels and Matt Seidel, and then the acclaimed squash match. The tag match with the Kingdom's victory got a B plus. Sith, it got a B plus. The Kingdom uh, tag match. Uh, tag match B. And then the acclaimed match got incomplete because it was a squash. And I give it a C plus. That promo saves it. Then Aussie Open squash, and then the TBS Championship match. The Aussie Open squash got it incomplete again. Yeah. Oh, hold on. Aussie, Aussie Open got incomplete. Hold on. Let me scroll back up. Uh, C minus. And then Statlander versus Cargill got a B plus. Uh, a minus. The final word from Doc Chris Mueller is as follows, quote, This week's Rampage was bloated for sure, but that doesn't mean it didn't have a couple things worth checking out. The tag match with the Kingdom face since Matt Seidel and Christopher Dales was a lot of fun, but the main event was definitely the biggest attraction due to the possibility of Cargill leaving AEW soon. The eight-man tag match was albeit on the chaotic side, but uh, as those bouts tend to be. But the other two matches we saw with the acclaimed and Aussie Open picking up squash victories felt totally unnecessary. If this if this was indeed Cargo's final match, she and Statlander would have benefited from having a bit more time to tell a story. They had a great match anyway, but it could have been even better if one other bout was dropped. Booking a one-hour show is difficult because three matches can feel like too few, and four can sometimes feel like too many, but having five this week made the show feel more overstuffed than usual. He's, uh, that's the end quote. His final grade was a C+. I agree just way too much. The reason to watch this show, folks, is Statlander, um, Statlander versus Cargill. Everything else is missable. True. All right. Saturday night's all right for fighting. And we're here with with AEW Pushberry Collision, second week in a row. And we open up with the back with the BCC. Brian Danielson and Claudio Castagnoli take it on Big Bill and Ricky Starks. How did you feel about this one? Push or Barry? Uh, big push. Big push. I really like this one. Ricky Starks getting, albeit an unclean victory over Brian Danielson, allows for this to continue. I give it a big push as well. AEW World's Tag Team title matchup, the Iron Savages, who are a complete 180 from what they used to be, taking on FTR for those titles. Push or bury this tag team title match? I give it a push. Uh, the Iron Savages haven't been spotlighted. That's why the crowd was dead at the Bryce Jordan Center during the match. Yeah, and it's definitely not the Iron Savages that they used to be. Like they, When they became the Iron Savages, they were savages. They turned into like health gurus it's like crazy anyway john silver and anthony bowen's going at it with the looks like the stipulation which wasn't mentioned that if dark if john silver wins dark order gets a alew trios title match and john silver won albeit with help push a berry you know me i'm a dark order mark gives us a push same push, uh, Evil Uno coming out of nowhere and helping out and giving them the win, and then them them acting like it was they were all innocent. I thought it was great. Like they were the good guys. Okay, yeah, okay. Um, yeah. Andrade El Idolo taking on Scorpio Sky in a really competitive matchup, but it was after the match- matchup where 
Andrade El Idolo, who he uh, a group that he had observed last week, decided to bring up his observation after his match this week. Pusher Barry. I give it all a big push. This was a lot of fun. Sign me up. Yeah, I agree with the push. I really enjoyed the matchup, and I cannot wait to see El Idolo versus the Switchblade and see if he can breathe with the Switchblade in his new era. And then yeah. finally, AEW TBS Championship match. Chris Statlander on back-to-back nights defending that championship, this time against Dr. Britt Baker, D. MD would Dr. Britt become the first woman to win both the AEW Women's World and TBS Championships? No, she wouldn't, but it would be a really good matchup, though. Pusha Berry, our main event for this week. Uh, big push bordering on Mega Push. Make it consistent where it comes to these times, please, because this was awesome. I'm giving it a big push as well, and we're going to go into our only stat of the day for this week. Chris Statlander defeated Dr. Britt Baker, DMD, 11 minutes, 58 seconds, combined mm. with the 10 minutes and 7 seconds from Statlander's title defense against Jay Cargill on Rampage, and in two nights, you... Chris Statlander's TBS title matches had 23 minutes and and 15 seconds of airtime, of watch time. No, five mm. seconds of, of airtime on TV. 23 minutes. That is incredible. That is what we want to see on a consistent basis. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is your stat of the day. And then our grades, courtesy of Doc Chris Mueller of Bleacher Reports. Let me make sure I'm not frozen here. I'm not. Thank you. All right. First and foremost, BCC versus Big Bill and Ricky Starks. Got a B plus. I agree. B plus. Iron Savages versus FTR, AEW World Tag Team Title Match. Got a C. C plus. John Silver versus Anthony Bowens. Got a C plus. B minus. Aussie Open Squash Andrade El Idolo versus Scorpio Scott. Squash got an incomplete. I give the squash a B minus and the promo a B plus. So give it all a B. And then Andrade El Idolo Scorpio Scott got a B plus. Agreed B plus. The Righteous versus the Hardys. That got a C. Uh, B minus. Chris Statlander versus Britt Baker for the TBS Championship got a B plus. A minus. And the final word from Doc Chris is as follows, quote, while there were definitely some weak points and one glaring production error, this week's collision was an enjoyable show. You saw that, didn't you? Where they did the whole thing and then they counted down and the camera was on. You saw that, right? I could not believe that actually happened. I was like, I was mortified for them. I was mortified. Anyway, the opening and closing bouts bookended the show with some great in-ring action, but El Idolo versus Sky deserves to be recognized for the high level of skill both men displayed. 
The segment with Tony Storm deserves to be mentioned, not only because pairing her with RJ City was a brilliant idea, but because Storm has done such a wonderful job with his new version of her character. Danielson versus Starks in a Texas death match will definitely be fun, but the FTR versus Aussie Open match, which was also booked during tonight's show, might end up being the better bout in the end. Time will tell. This will be the third in their trilogy, by the way, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. It's hard to pick the best match out of the three highlighted above, but due to the title being on the line and the somewhat unpredictable nature of the ending, Baker versus Statlander probably edges out the other two as the one thing you should take the time to see if you skip the show. End quote. Final grade is a B plus. I agree. B plus. Good shit. Yeah, it was good shit. It was. Do really you want me to shit. just hype what I've got going on and we just close out? No, let's no. We're gonna keep it going. Fuck it. Look, it's not four hours, so I'm happy with that. It's not four hours. We did. I my. I know we want to keep it under three hours, but my ultimate goal is to keep it under four hours. So I think we're good. We can just go right All into right. it, ladies and gentlemen. Final thoughts is now time for final thoughts. Uh, part of the show where we talk about things either wrestling related or non wrestling related, and get into. All the things we want to get into in terms of what we got podcast wise upcoming and things of that nature. So, Sith, you know what time it is. Do what you do, good sir. Thank you. Okay, so an interview clip resurfaced with Jesse the Body Ventura where he mentioned something that I really do agree with here. You see, folks, a lot of pro wrestlers, if they don't have an office position, they're considered independent contractors. And that's fucking bullshit at the end of the day. A professional wrestling promotion decides when they sign talent that they are an independent contractor. Hold the phone, but if you sign with WWE, you're really locked down with what you can do as a signed talent that's not on a Legends deal. On a Legends deal, you get asked to make a certain amount of appearances a year, and they limit appearances you make for other promotions-wise because they feel that, hey, you're getting paid X amount of money to be a legend, so we should restrict what you do. Did y'all know that the label of independent contractors is a way to get out of providing health insurance coverage to the talent, as well as get past having Social Security taxes? This is unacceptable, so I'm going to rant here for a bit. Now, I will give pro wrestling promotions their due. If a wrestler is severely injured, say a broken neck that's happened in the ring or a serious concussion, most of the major promotions will pay for what is needed out of pocket. I will gladly admit that part because of late you've had serious concussions, muscle tears, broken necks, etc. And the major promotions are paying those costs out of pocket. So taking that is a good thing. However, these promotions use the term independent contractor to avoid giving wrestlers health insurance. And that sucks at the end of the day. If you're a pro wrestler, you have to get health insurance on your own. And that was before even the ACA came to be. So please, miss me that the ACA forced wrestlers to get insurance. A lot of them had have had insurance, thankfully, before the law was passed and signed into law. That all said, the lack of insurance from a pro wrestling employers why support wrestlers getting into a union. Unionization of wrestlers was attempted back in the day when Justice the Body Ventura was out looking for his co-workers and their health and their bodies. However, Hulk Hogan caught wind of this, and because Hulk was enjoying the perks of a rising star via his work in the WWF in Hollywood, he decided, fuck my co-workers. I'm going to rat people out to Vince. Vince found out, squashed the proposed wrestlers' union, 
And because Jesse Ventura wanted to get his name on a Sega Genesis video game, which Jesse owned a trademark to his name, Jesse left the WWF because Vince was being greedy per the usual. I know a lot of people don't know, know my stance on unions, so I'll say again for the record. I support unions, and if people want to join a workers' union, they're responsible for paying said dues. If you don't want to join one, that's on you, and you shouldn't have to pay dues. It's upsetting to me that people are willing to forego the need of health insurance for pro wrestlers to be provided via their employers, and that's one of the reasons why I support their efforts in the past to unionize. It's not a good thing at all for pro wrestlers to be denied health insurance, among other things, because of the clause of being independent contractors. All for a greedy loop, and you only get insurance through your job if you're considered an employee. Just a really sad state of affairs. And for those saying, oh, well, AEW doesn't have that clause, I call bullshit. They do have that clause indeed. Just that it's not widely known. Bottom line is simple, though. Pro wrestlers should get health insurance and benefits from their employers at the end of the day. The lack of said coverage is really upsetting. And that, my friends, is my final thought. Now on Spotify, Predator, Alien, Jurassic Park, Star Wars, Star Trek, all tier ranked. That's Sixth Basement on Spotify. That all said, champ, I yield the floor. <laughs> and champ has stepped away for a second, so I'm going to holler at y'all real quick. Um, the one key thing about the Star Wars tier ranking, Rogue One, Solo, not in the tier rankings this week because I decided for the, you know, the whole thing of time and everything to leave those two films sitting out to the side to get to three trilogies, which is nine films. Um, the Star Trek movies, all of them are in there. Alien, I'm going to get shit on, of course, because of my thoughts of the films post-Aliens. The y'all will love, will have my pray. Jim! Yeah, I'm back. I was in the kitchen trying to uh, make a quick dinner, and I guess I didn't make it quick enough. All right, I'm going to be real quick with this one. So last week, I didn't get a chance to talk about this because, of course, last week we talked about the 22nd anniversary of the 9-11 attacks on the World Trade Center and the Pentagon. Uh, but last week for opening day of the NFL, history was made because we saw the most African-American quarterbacks starting an NFL game on the same day. 14 teams had starting quarterbacks that were of African-American descent. And when you add in two Asian Pacific quarterbacks, half of the league had minority individuals playing at quarterback. That is a long time coming from the days where there were some in the media and there were some in the locker rooms that said that African-Americans couldn't play quarterback. There were even some fans who said African-Americans weren't smart enough to play quarterback. But on September the 10th, 2023, the start of the 104th season of the National Football League, 14 individuals who have the same skin color as me Start got in like got under center and played an NFL game. That does my heart so good, so 
proudly and it just makes me proud because again there was a time where you couldn't find that many of people my color playing that position and yet on one day 14 teams had to trust in someone of my skin color to go out there and play this game one of those being a rookie uh, in Anthony Richardson though he wasn't able to finish the game due to injury and then this week he once again was unable to finish the game due to injury Uh, but the fact that this has happened and things like that shows how progressive this uh, this league has gotten uh, and it shows how skillful this position has become that there are more African-Americans that are playing this position. And you can see that there's more of a crop of, of African-American quarterbacks that are coming up. Look at Deion Sanders' son, who's absolutely balling out in Colorado as a freshman. I mean, it's just incredible. And I just cannot wait for the day where we see a stat that says that all but maybe four or five franchises uh, who have franchise quarterbacks who are not African-American have African-American quarterbacks starting. And pretty soon the entire league will have African-American quarterbacks starting. Not And don't please don't construe my message like I want – non-African-American quarterbacks not playing anymore. That's not it. I just am so proud to know that the majority is filled with the minority. That's where my pride lies, is in that. So I wanted to just bring that to everybody's attention. Yes, last week, the opening weekend of of the uh, NFL season saw the most African-American quarterbacks starting uh, in the history of the league. 14 uh, in total, 16 minorities started, and it was a proud weekend for me as a minority, as I'm sure it was for others who are minorities as well. And that, my friends, is my final thought. And I will be I will be joining Robbie G and Carol on Sports on the Hill podcast on Monday night, uh, beginning at 9 p.m. We will be talking about that heart wrenching Commanders 35-33 victory over the Denver Broncos in Denver. Talking about what went wrong, what went right, and how they can change things up when they take on a very very dangerous Buffalo Bills team next week in Week Three. The schedule doesn't get any easier for the Commanders after two very tough uh, games to start off it doesn't get any easier we will talk about those as well as what happened throughout the remainder of the NFL and then we will talk about uh, the Mystics opening uh, opening round loss in the first game of the three game series to the New York Liberty in the WNBA playoffs as well as the Nationals they continue to close out their season Uh, they had a 2-1 extra innings victory over the Milwaukee Bucks in Milwaukee today uh, Sunday, and we will also talk about DC United, who's looking uh, and what they've been going on. It's all DC sports without the politics. Make sure you check out twitch.tv slash G underscore sports OTHP. The stream starts around 9 p.m. Eastern. Hopefully, we will be able to stream. Last week, we were unable to stream on Twitch because of technical difficulties, but Robbie did a test stream the other day, and everything went off without a hitch. So hopefully, we'll be back on there again. If not, make sure you check out facebook.com slash sports on the hill pot or sports on the hill uh, to check out them on Facebook as well uh, to check them out on Facebook if they stream on Facebook. 
Uh, but with that, that's it for our uh, this week's episode. We hope that you enjoyed our retro rewind back to the year 2000, as well as our thoughts on this week in wrestling. Uh, but for now, if you enjoyed this podcast, make sure you check us out on social media, Twitch uh, at facebook.com slash nospotspod, at twitter.com slash truenospotspod, or x.com slash truenospotspod, uh, twitch.tv slash truenospotspod, and tiktok.com slash at truenospotspod. You can follow Sith on both Twitter and Twitter. And, and TikTok at TrueSipDan74. You can follow our good friend Sage on Instagram at I woke up as this guy named Sage with underscores after each word. And make sure that you give us a follow again on twitch.tv slash true no spots for our exclusive live reactions to different pay-per-views uh, each and every month. Uh, it's a great place to come and just hang out. Uh, and just you know, shoot the shit with us while we watch the wrestling. Uh, it's almost like yeah. you're sitting in our living rooms and we're just hanging out. So make sure you check us out on there. But for now, for the Dark Sith Lord and myself, Decent People's Chef, for our audio listeners, we hope you enjoy. We will catch you guys next week for episode 220. Peace out. Have a good one. We'll see you next Sunday. Hey guys, it's Champ here. We hope you enjoyed that episode of No Spots Podcast. If you did, make sure you are following us so you can be notified when we upload new episodes. And make sure you follow us on all social media platforms, facebook.com slash nospotspod, as well as on Twitter, at truenospotspod. We will catch you on the next episode, myself, Donnie Wrestling, and The Sith, for the No Spots Podcast on the True Radio Network.